2: with plenty of time. Shoots and scores. He beats Huso with a slap shot glove side. Huso could
1: see it coming the whole way. And a Lightning regain a lead. It's 3-2, to 11-51 to go in the third. Blues give it up. Lightning in. Shoot, headman scores on another brutal turnover inside their defensive zone. And then the Lightning will clear it out and this one's over for to the final tonight in Tampa. Oh, buddy, can't make those mistakes in your own zone when you got a backup goalie, you don't have Justin Falk and Oscar Sundquist isn't himself. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That's what it sounded like last night on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Alex and I are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, they just made too many mistakes. It looked good for about two periods. He felt pretty good about the fact that they were tied 2-2 against the Lightning, given all of the issues that the Blues are dealing with right now, both injury-related and COVID-related What would you make of that third period, though, when the Blues just simply made too many mistakes to be able to overcome? That's
3: all it was. It was mistakes. It was mistakes in their own zone from veterans, which I think is the part that actually was more frustrating. Ryan O'Reilly admitted to it last night. That was the first goal by Victor Hedman. He turns the puck over when he's got the puck on his stick on the boards, and he opts to try and go up the middle where Victor Hedman's right there. That one was a little frustrating, too, and that was one of the only goals I think you can sit there and say, man, the goalie should have made that save for you. That was a mistake that needed to be stopped by your goaltender. It was a point-blank shot from Hedman. There were no screens, no deflections, so that one stung. But you still felt like, if you were the Blues, okay, we're in this. We just tied this. We can tie this again. There's 12 minutes left to go. And then you had the play on the boards where Nico Mikola was the defenseman on the puck, on the guy, and Marco Scandella, who was the right-sided defenseman, which this is what happens when you have two lefties playing. And, and I know we say that it doesn't matter, and the players will say it doesn't matter. It matters in scenarios like this. When you're the right, right-sided right guy, but you're the normally the left-sided guy, both go to the defenseman or the player with the puck, which allows Victor Hedman to go out there. And By the look, way,
1: that guy's good. Victor Hedman,
3: very good. There's a reason they drafted him so high in the draft years ago. But those are those are what happen when you play aggressive. You're going to make mistakes like that. And those are the moments where you need your goaltender to come up big. And I thought Craig Berube said it best a couple of games ago where the Blues were still committing turnovers in their own zone. And he said, look, we want our guys to be aggressive with the puck. We want them to take chances. That's what creates offense. You, one, though, need to make sure you're not making the mistakes at the wrong time where you leave Victor Hedman all by himself. But two, you need your goaltender to step up there. And it's tough because the third period, it stings because of those mistakes. But overall, I do agree with the guys where they said they competed hard. And I thought for a game where you don't have Jordan Pennington, and then you find out at game time that you don't have Justin Falk and you thrust Jake Wallman into the lineup who hadn't played in nine games scenarios there that just weren't going to go the Blues way, and I think that one just ultimately, ultimately was going to hand them the loss. Yeah.
1: After the game, Craig Berube, of course, was asked about what we're talking about with the mistakes that the Blues made inside of their own zone. Here's what he had to say about the issues last night.
4: Well, anybody, you can't make make the two couple mistakes that we made, you know, even on the penalty kill goalie, you know, the penalty kill, I mean, uh, yeah, the power, their power play goal, it's just we know they're going to run that play, and we didn't read it, and you know, and then, uh, you know, I think Billy would like the headman goal back, the long one. But uh, then uh, the the next goal, it's just a bad puck play by us and, you know, give it to headman all alone in the slot.
1: Bad puck play, bad turnover, didn't have the pre-scouted look ready to go against their penalty or their power play. I mean, it's just it's just bad, bad all around. And that's how you end up losing a game on the road at Tampa after having What appeared to be a potential jumping off point against Tampa Bay on Tuesday here at home. And listen, Alex, I'm not going to sit here today and be like, this is the worst thing in the world after they had more adversity that hit him or hit them. You have Jordan Bennington go down with COVID right before the game, as you mentioned, they find out, hey, Justin Falk's got a positive test. He's going to be out in this one. He's going to be out for a little while. I guess the question to, to me, Alex, have we reached the point of no return now with the injuries, with the COVID cases, with all of the things that are issues for this team right now? I mean, Oscar Sundquist last night played nine minutes. There was a point in the game. I know they talked about it on the radio broadcast as well. Joey mentioned it. He comes back to the bench and he's talking to Ray Barilli and he's he's asking him, hey, what's going on? You, you, you don't look right. And Sonny just says three times, my hip, my hip, my hip. He got two surgeries on his hips this offseason. He had another surgery on his knee. He's clearly not 100% right now. He's trying to get there, but they've had this barrage of games over the last few weeks since he's returned. And he's just, he's not there yet. And then you get hit with all of these injuries on your fourth line. And you're hit with COVID cases with Justin Falk and Tyler Bozak and Jordan Bennington. All of this is adding up right now. Have we reached the point of no return where it's, just, it's going to be a slog to get through the next couple of weeks for this
3: team? 100%. That's exactly where you're at right now. And, you know, Craig Berube was pretty adamant about it for pregame yesterday, and he said, look, the question was posed to him of, can Billy huso handle this workload? He said, doesn't matter if he can't handle it or can't handle it. He has to handle it. And that's where they're at right now. There's no concern over, well, we don't have this guy because he's on COVID or this guy's hands aren't there yet. Doesn't matter. You got to play through it. And guess what? One, there's no help coming. And two, you can't get any help even if you did have some because you don't have the salary cap to make that work. Good thing the Blues didn't put Jake Wallman on waivers. JR tweeted last night that if they were to put him on waivers, a scout told him that, yeah, he would have been claimed immediately. And you would have been playing with 11 forwards and seven defensemen last night against Tampa Bay. So the Blues are in the spot that they're in right now. If you're going to look for a, a silver lining in all of this, at least on the COVID side, I mean, they've got nine guys that have gotten it on top of the players who had it last season. I mean, you're getting to the point now where everyone on the roster has had
1: it, so... Unfortunately, the immunity from last season might not matter at this
3: point. Well, I mean, that's very true with all of this, but surprisingly, we haven't seen any of the guys that had it last year go out. It's been all fresh new faces, so... But look, at the end of the day, you're at the point of no return. There's nobody going to be concerned for you. I know that it sucks with the NHL's rules of no cap relief to where they can't call up individual players and they had to use an emergency backup goaltender. But this is the hand you're dealt. This is what happens when you agree to go back into the game with COVID lingering throughout the NHL still, Mm -hmm. and this is how you're going to have to play with it. Other teams have thrived from it, and the Blues just have to find a way to get back to their style with or without players in the lineup.
1: At this point, just tread water. I I know that sounds bad. I know that's setting a low bar for this team, but... Over the next few weeks, that's really what it's about. Just don't allow yourself to go into a tailspin. Mm -hmm. If you can prevent that, you're going to be in a good spot moving forward because the Central is so damn competitive. Everybody's right around the same spot right now. You've got 27 points. Dallas right behind you with 26. Uh, They have played two fewer games than you. Colorado with 25 also has played three fewer games than you. Nashville has played the same number of games with 25 points. Winnipeg has 24 with one fewer game. I mean, everybody's right in the same area. If you can just stay competitive, if you can stay in the same range as we continue here into the month of December, and you get to January 1st, and you're still at least in the thick of things, you should be okay. But the the concern is things go to an, into a tailspin because of all of the injuries, COVID issues, and otherwise – that that's when things could become problematic but for right now it's not about seeding it's not about being the number 1 team in the central just stay competitive stay in the mix of the in the thick of things for the next few weeks and come January first that's when you try to make your run
3: and i think it's important for people to look at because we already got a text that say here come the excuses team is just average not good admit it you homers look i'm not making excuses there are other teams that have dealt with covid protocols that their teams have been thriving or teams that have been playing look at the Colorado Avalanche they were without their best player and they won 5 in a row before he returned everyone's going to go through something like this and the blues made mistakes but i think it's important to look at this in in a smaller picture here rather than just saying well the blues can't win games or they can't get on a win streak all of these games that they've been losing with the exception of that Arizona Coyotes game they've been in these games it has been mistakes and little mistakes that have just bitten this team. You correct those mistakes, you're talking about a different outcome. You correct the mistake in the third period against the Carolina Hurricanes and the Edmonton Oilers, you're probably talking about two big victories there. You correct the special teams' mistakes that you had against the Dallas Stars, you're talking about another victory right there. You correct the mistake of turning that puck over and two defensemen going after the puck in their own zone, you're talking about two straight victories against the Tampa Bay Lightning when you were without important players in your lineup. So... I I don't think the Blues are bad. I just think right now they're trying to do too much on the ice to offset the losses of the players that they don't have on the ice. And when they're trying to do too much, that Hedman goal is a perfect example. Marco Scandello is trying to be aggressive there to get the puck away on the boards because they're down by a goal. Boom, mistake, goal scored. The Blues just seem to be trying to do too much, and they... They seem to be a little bit lost in what they're trying to accomplish on the ice.
1: Yeah, so somebody on the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, uh, mentions this team just can't score even score, even goal strengths. Only eight shots in the first period. Only one was a dangerous shot. That's where the game was lost. There was some truth to that, especially in the first period. Everything was coming from the outside by the Blues. And they mentioned that again, Joey and curbs did last night on the broadcast but when you actually go to the numbers they've they've been fine on five on five for the most part not good they're top 10 but but fine they're third they've been outscored at five on five since december 1st 31 to 30 so it's not as if they're just getting destroyed at five on five right now the problem is they've also been outscored on special teams they've been outscored 20 to 16 when it's not a five on five situation over the last month plus And this is supposed to be a team, especially early on in the year, Alex, when we were watching them have so much success, they were dominating on the power play. Their penalty kill was top three in the league. And now you look at both of those things, and the power play was pretty good early on last night, but the penalty kill has definitely taken a step back. And we've seen some issues on the power play where they're even giving up shorthanded chances. You saw it again last night, shorthanded chance for Tampa Bay. They just need to clean all of this stuff up. If you're going to be shorthanded, not in terms of on the ice, but with the personnel that you have available to you, the little things, those have to all get cleaned up immediately. You can't have these turnovers in your own zone. You just got to play a clean game. It's like the Cardinals last year. When when you're booting the ball around, yeah, things are going to be a problem. When you're walking guys left and right, yeah, things are going to be a problem. The way that you get that cleaned up, just throw strikes, play good defense. And then if your offense is having a little bit of a slump, You'll get it figured out. The same thing has to happen for the Blues. You got to play a clean 60 minutes in front of your goaltender. And if you do that, these things are going to start balancing each other out. Yeah, the
3: penalty kill, I mean, it's given a power play goals in three straight games. And I know you won two of those three, but I mean, that is an area of concern because they were one of the best penalty kills in the first 10 games of the season. No mistake as to why this team's going of drop below 500 since then. So that's a, a definitely an area of discussion. And, and at the end of the day right now, that, that to me, is their biggest issue. Well, there's two of them. They're not heavy enough in front of their own net. They're not physical enough in front of their own net. They're allowing teams to get within range of their goaltender, and they're not allowing teams to have to pay the penalty for doing that. But two, they are. They're taking shots from the point and there's nobody in front. The first period, I disagree with the Tech saying that they lost the game in the first period because I thought the Blues were still in it. You're down by a goal, and they finally got back to their style towards the end of that first period, but you got to put more pressure on the goaltender. You're getting, I don't want to say lucky, you're getting bounces... In the form of some goals, and then other goals, you're getting guys where you're working. And I said it on post game: you have a group of players that are trying to play one way, and a group of players trying to play another way. And that's
1: where it comes into
3: too many guys trying to do too much and not going with the system that works.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned the special teams. The Blues right now second in the league in power play percentage still. So they've had they've had overall success on that unit this year. The penalty kill, not the same. It was top three in the league early on, and now it's bottom 10 again. And this has been a consistent theme over the last few years. For whatever reason, they have really struggled on the penalty kill. And this is a team that in the past has really made it, it has prided itself on the PK and just defensively in general. You always bring it up. Anytime we talk about the goalie, you say, hey, it's it's not just on the goalie. It's also about the five-man unit in front of them. It's also the four-man unit in front of them whenever they're on the penalty kill. And so far this year, they've had some struggles there, especially over the last month or so. And that's been an issue for them that they've got to get corrected. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, speaking of the goalie, is going to be counted on in a big way over the next week or so. Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, will join us next to tell us what we should expect from Ville Husso and how he can take his game and meet the expectations of what they're going to need from him over the next week. Mike McKenna, next on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: More blues talk, more often. 101 ESPN is live from the Centine Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and ENB Granite. Bernie Federico's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring.
1: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN, and we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend and former NHL goalies, Mike McKenna, joining the show. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing this morning?
4: Man, I'm good. You know what I just love about living in St. Louis sometimes is I wake up, I sit on my computer, I run through highlights. And then every once in a while, I hear jet engines going and I get to see (laughs) fighter jets fly over. I guess I'm close enough to where they're taking off if they're out in Chesterfield or at Spirit. I don't know, guys. I understand I'm here to talk hockey, but I just want to talk America and how awesome it is to hear and see these jets going overhead. I'm such a geek for these planes that I run outside. So I I don't know. That's just what I'm feeling right now. I apologize (laughs) once again, going in a weird tangent, but it just gets me running to the door, man. It makes me happy.
1: So that's your reaction. Mine was very different. So I am from Kansas City where the airport is like 45 minutes away from where I grew up. Like it, it's essentially in a different area of America than than where the actual city is. Meanwhile, in St. Louis, when I moved out here, we originally lived in Hazelwood, which is like five mm. minutes from where the airport is. So as I was living with my, at the time, fiance's uh, parents, um, there would be planes that would be like it felt like 100 feet overhead, Mike. And I would think that my world was about to be crumbling down to Earth because these planes are clearly going to be coming after our house. Be honest, BK. You (laughs) cried a little. It was terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely terrifying. So I would just go downstairs every time that I would hear. We had very different reactions.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I enjoy it, man. I just, I I don't know. I think that fighter jets are just the coolest thing on Earth, man. I wish I was smart enough or brave enough to fly those things but I ended up getting hit in the head by hockey pucks for a bunch of years <laughs> and here
3: we are guys. Well, let me tell you Mike, that's something I look at and say I don't know how the hell these guys do this mm-hmm. because you got to be damn brave to do it, especially in a backup goaltender's role. and Let's jump off from there Mike because Ville Husso, mm-hmm. I'm sure as a backup goaltender, you want certain situations like this. You want the heavy workload in a season. You don't like when you're other goaltender partner goes down with injury, COVID-related, or whatnot. But from a goaltender's perspective, Mike, what's going through Ville Jusso's mind right now, where he knows that he's going to probably be playing five or six of the next games?
4: Yeah, you know, for someone like Ville who's who's been in the NHL now full-time for more than a season, you know, this is this is not a little longer an audition for him. Um, I, I think there's excitement to it. You know, there shouldn't be any nervousness to carry the mail. This is what you want as a goalie. You want to be able to establish yourself and play more games and. You know, with Jordan Bennington going into COVID protocol, we're looking at probably three to four games, maybe more for Billy Huso to get the opportunity to play. Um, It's not a terribly heavy schedule. There's no back-to-backs coming for another two weeks. So it's a chance to really get your game into a rhythm. And, you know, for for somebody who's not playing every couple weeks, that's tough to find. And and there's really a, a skill to being a backup goalie in being able to manage your workload and practice, being able to turn it on for games to always be ready. Um, And and I think Billy struggled with that last year for a decent amount of time was not having those regular starts like he did when he was playing in the American hockey league before making that jump. So I'd say it's exciting, man. If I'm in his shoes, this is a great chance. Um, You know, I mean, I know the last couple of games haven't gone particularly great for him, but he's got some wins on the year three and two. Like this is a good moment for Billy Huso.
1: It's a good moment for him. My, my question would be, what does this mean for the guys in front of him, right? Because it, it feels mm-hmm. like, I mean, anytime in any other sport, you've got a significant piece that goes out. It's always, hey, those other guys, the big time players, have to step up their game to be able to help whoever that replacement is. Who needs to step up? What part of this team needs to step up while huso is in net? In your mind, Mike?
4: Yeah, and great point here about you know what teammates do and feel because you know listening to post-game comments, and I think it was Robert Thomas the other day saying, you know, man, Billy's just such a great attitude. He works so hard. We're rooting for him. We want to play for him. That's what you want. You know, this is a, this guy has a great personality, and you need that, and And that's first and foremost, but I mean, right now, the Blues are just allowing too many chances against, and I know they've played against the Tampa Bay Lightning the last two games, and that's a great team, but, man, this is who you're going to have to beat if you want to win the Stanley Cup again. And I, I just feel like, especially the rush chances that have been coming, uh, it's been too many, the quantity too much. And I think early in the season, really, Jordan Bennington was playing above the level of defensive play of the St. Louis Blues. And that started to come back down to earth in recent times before Bennington went onto the COVID list. And they've got to tighten up defensively. I believe a lot of that has really just been based on who's in and out of the lineup. Krug gone for a while, COVID, now Fox out of the lineup. Um, it, it's been in flux. You know, and, you know, I think you're still I'd like to see Nico Mikola play better, like to see him take a bit of a jump. He's played with Pareko and it's been a mixed bag. So I think defensively, that's your that's your big get. And it's got to start in the neutral zone. It's got to start with your forwards doing the little things to keep the other team from coming down your throat so fast.
3: Mike, the one thing I'm always curious about is what goaltenders want from their defensemen. And I know every goaltender is different, but the Blues have an interesting group of players. They do have some shutdown guys like Marco Scandella. He's a defensive defenseman. Robert Portuzo. Mm-hmm. But the Blues have a lot of offensive defensemen that like to jump up into the rush and go quick. When you're in net, like say you're Husso or Jordan Binnington, what do you want to see from your defenseman in front of
4: you? A couple things, uh, and it all relates to me as communication. Uh, whether I'm out handling the puck, whether I'm facing a shot from straight on, I need to be in contact with my defenseman, with all of my teammates for that matter. You know, I need to hear where I need to put the puck. I need to be vocal to them so they understand what I can and can't see. You kind of direct traffic as a goaltender. Whatever you see in front of you, you're an extra set of eyes for your teammates. And, and one of the big things, and I think that Billy really Huso struggled with this a little bit, is finding pucks through traffic. And this is where it's really incumbent on your defenseman to know where they are on the ice. Pack the middle. Don't cross the goalie's eyes as the shots coming, as the pucks moving. If you can avoid it, it's one of those things where the defenseman should take the far side of the shot. Let the goalie take the short side. The goalie needs to know where that shot's going to come to without having variables. And that's why it's so important for defensemen to work to position, get their feet set, establish a defensive presence with the opposing players coming in so that they're not moving. Moving screens are the hardest thing to deal with as a goalie. So you want consistency out of your teammates and your defensemen, and you really need that communication.
1: We're talking to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie for another few minutes here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, what would you say is the blues identity this year?
4: Oh, I'd say hurt and sick. That's the identity.
1: <laughs> okay? What about on ice? And... <laughs> what is their on ice identity? Because that is very uh, well, fair.
4: <laughs> but, but I think that bleeds into the on ice identity. I think that's what bleeds into the inconsistency. You know, like this is still a good team. But they're just in flux, man. And I think that they've been scratching and clawing to find it. I would consider them, at least from the majority of games that I've watched, to be a fairly resilient team. I mean, Vegas goes up on them a week and a half ago, and the Blues score three goals in short succession, and then they clamp down for the rest of the game. You know, they, they've had times where they come back. I, I But I don't see, you know, they're not a big, heavy team like they used to be. Like, when they won the Stanley Cup, this was a big, heavy team that would grind and. I think the skill level's been up, but I don't think the consistency's there. And I still think that their true identity is being developed. And I think when you're bringing in Vucinevich and Tarasenko's back and Kyrou and Thomas are now driving the boat for this team, that's different. It's a team that plays with speed, that plays with awareness when they're, they're best and when they're healthy. But that's been the problem. They haven't been that enough this year. So I think that what they want the identity to be, what they need the identity to be, is a fast, aware team that plays responsibly uh, and doesn't have to rely on goaltending and the power play to win games. But unfortunately, that's really been what most of the year is the Blues are where they are in the standings to me because of Bennington early and because of their work on the power play.
3: Now, Mike, I ask this, and I'll preface this question by saying that I don't think that this is the issue, but I have seen some individuals say that this team doesn't really have an identity, that physical presence identity is gone, and they mm-hmm. question if Craig Ruby is still the right man to be in charge of it. Where do you lie on that?
4: I don't think that that's a... I don't agree with that right now. I mean, I, I think that you... You know, you want to build your team in the mirror of who your coach is, but you can't let that guide everything. And it's not just because you can't just look at Craig Ruby and say like, okay, you have to play heavy hockey and run people over and in your, like, no, man, even coaches adapt as the times go on. The the, the league just keeps getting faster and faster. A lot of that comes to how tightly you check, how tight your gaps are in the neutral zone. That's playing hard. Playing hard doesn't mean you're running people over like you're on the gridiron and you're trying to, you know, knock a lineman into the next zip code. Like it's a little different than that. I don't think by any stretch Barube's lost this team. I think he's been dealt a pretty tough hand with the players, and he's done a good job with what he has. Um, But I do see that that message at time doesn't seem clear because once again, when he came in as head coach and took over, the team really forged that heavy grinding identity and I think really just in the last three or four years the the definition of what heavy and grinding as an identity what that is I think it's shifted a bit and I think that fans have to to kind of look at that and what Doug Armstrong's tried to do to speed the team up while still having that grittiness Um, but I do think they need more of it I will not doubt that for a second
3: Mike, final one that I have for you, and we appreciate your time today. Uh, We're seeing a lot of names in the rumor mill around the National Hockey League. I would imagine between now and the end of the month is when the the pre-trade deadline trades start to come out around the National Hockey League. Do you think a move by Doug Armstrong can fix the Blues issues right now?
4: I don't think a move is right now. I mean, I'd like to see them. Uh, I'd like to see help on the, on the back end. I would. Um, I, I think that there's, they're relying heavily on young people that maybe at this stage aren't ready, but what you don't quite know, let's think about Mikola and even Perunovic defensively, like they still have runway to grow into their role with the team and by trade deadline, these might be guys that you really trust. So there's a little bit of wiggle room there. I think that, Doug Armstrong has to play with, Um, you know, and what can you get somebody at a decent cap hit? That's the hardest part. It's all money in money out, you know? So what are you going to do to help Justin Hole out of Toronto? I'm not sure that's your guy. Like there's not many D that are on the market right now at a reasonable cap hit. And I think that's hard. Like you're not going to find a whole lot of help. So um, I think as soon as the team gets healthy at forward, they're fine. there. I think it's going to have to come from within. I really do. Um, and I, I like the prospects. I like Mikula, but I think he needs some time, and he's going to get it now. So this is, a, this is the time to make it happen.
1: He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. You can find his work now over at The Daily Faceoff. Also, give him a follow on Twitter, at Mike five 56 Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy those planes going overhead, and we'll talk with you again soon. <laughs>
4: <laughs> sounds good guys always a pleasure have a great day everybody thanks Absolutely. Mike you Same too buddy you.
1: that's Mike McKetta joining us here on 101 ESPN do you agree with him that this is going to have to come internally I do because there's not a move out there that you can make unless you're
3: offsetting money and Vladdy would be the one and I don't know if you can get back what you're hoping with Vladimir Tarasenko I while he was saying that what I thought was really interesting is the Blues are doing with Mikola and Wallman right now what they did with Sanford and Blay because they gave Sanford and Blay all of the opportunities when injuries came up last year and said, look, like I remember the story, Curbs and Joey saying that the agents were going to Armstrong and saying, why is our guys not getting opportunities? They need opportunities. And then when they got the opportunities, Armstrong went back to him and said, what's your excuse now? They got those opportunities. And what did he do with those two? Turn him into Logan Brown, who I thought has been good in two games, and then turned Sammy Blay into Pavel Buchnevich. He's been pretty good. He's been man. pretty damn good. <laughs> he's doing that with Mikula and Wallman right now. And I'm not saying they're gonna, that he's going to trade those two, but you're telling them, Hey, you want top four spots as a defenseman? This is your opportunity to go show that you can do it. And if you can't, Doug Armstrong has shown that he can find a way to flip those and turn it into something that's going to help them.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with him as well on the identity side of things. Like this team is just, he, I, I asked him what's the identity of the blues right now. He said, it's they're hurt and they're sick.
3: It's a hundred percent true.
1: man. it's so true. And right now, like, I saw earlier today over on The Athletic, JR had a great piece on what's gone wrong for the Blues right now. And you just look at the time on ice and the average that these guys had before November 26th. Pavel Buchnevich just as an example, since you just brought him up, he was averaging right around 17 minutes per game. Over the last four, he's averaging 20 minutes per game. Now, Buchnevich has still played well. It's not like this has become a, a Buchnevich can't play anymore because he's exhausted out there. <laughs> But he is probably better at 17 minutes than he is over the course of a game at 20 minutes. And the problem is it's not just him. Braden Shin, 16 and a half minutes. He's just now coming back from from all of his stuff. He's playing 19 minutes now per game over the last four. Ivan Barbachev, he was at 16 minutes. Now he's at almost 19. Ryan O'Reilly, coming back from his stuff, 19 minutes before November 26th. Now he's at 21 and a half minutes, and it just keeps going on and on and on. All of these guys are just taking on such an increase in workload right now because they're going with the 11 forwards. It adds up, man, especially when you're in this condensed schedule and you're going, whether it be the back-to-backs or the every other days, and you look at um, somebody for example, Oscar Sunquist, who's trying to fight through some of these injuries. I, I'm not giving them excuses. This is not what I'm doing. I'm explaining what we're watching, or at least that- that's what I'm trying to do. And it, it's they're hurt and they are sick. And as a result, we aren't able to see what they look like at full strength right now. So I'm not saying that this team shouldn't be better. It should be those turnovers that you saw in their own zone. That has nothing to do with being hurt or sick. That has everything to do with just making bad decisions at times. But for the here and now, over the next month or so, I said this earlier. I believe this to be true. The goal for the next month should be treading water and staying competitive in the central. If you can do that while you're hurt and sick, you should have a chance to be able to make up some ground once you, you are no longer hurt or sick. And getting guys back.
3: And trying to keep them in the lineup because that, I mean, essentially you're looking at two guys on LTIR. You have two guys in COVID protocol, three guys in COVID protocol, and then David Perron, who's an unknown commodity. Like, I mean, all of these guys right now, last night you were at the point where you were playing eight forwards. Mm-hmm. You were playing eight forwards last night because Sunquist, Brown, and Joshua weren't playing.
1: The third period was essentially
3: just eight, eight forwards and four defensemen. Yep. I mean, that's essentially what you're skating with right now. So, and I thought you said it best, BK. This is not an excuse; it's an explanation, and I think people need to understand the difference between the two.
1: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get into some questions and answers in fifteen minutes. But next, it's time for our football pick'em. We took a week off. We're officially back. Oh, we it's got a time call- for
3: better call. Tanner loses. There's that as
1: that's well. Uncalled that's uncalled for. Next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, boys, it is time for our football pick 'em. It has been a couple of weeks since we were able to get into our football pick 'em because, well, last week we only had three shows and then we went into the football weekend. The last time that we shame. did this.
3: Someone would have planned correctly. We could have done it on Wednesday for those we were busy. Thanksgiving Group, games. Group.
1: We are busy. Stephen Matz just signed. It was fun stuff, man.
5: Cool. <laughs> so, it was
1: a cool signing. <laughs> it was a cool signing. I agree with you. The last time that we did pick games, Alex was our leader. What at else two and is one. new, ladies and gentlemen? I was in second place at one and two and dragging up the rear for the third straight week and the fourth week out of six. T-bone in the rear? Was Tanner Hendrickson. T-Bone, well done, my friend. Alex, which pick would you like? Number one, number two, well, or number three? Because
3: Ferrario never loses, um, and frankly... All he does is take second. I'm going to go number two.
1: All right. Alex Ferrario is going to be picking second. Tanner, I will give you the number one pick, which means I go three and four. Tanner, what's your number one Not pick? how no, a snake got draft nine,
5: works. We've
1: got nine games to pick this weekend.
5: Which one are you starting out with? That's why I've been struggling. We really haven't mastered the snake draft just yet. Uh, But, Gosh, I really need a duck because if I were putting money on my bets, I would not have an apartment (laughs) right now. People are
3: fading you, uh, T-Bone. I
5: know. They're probably making big bucks by not listening to me. People made fun of me, and I'm the leader in the clubhouse. All right, let's calm down over there. I think my first pick, I think I'm going to go with the Bengals over the Chargers. Minus three, they're at home, and it's that classic west coast, east coast that clearly works all the time. So I like the Bengals. They're playing well. The Chargers are trending in the wrong direction. I'm going to take the Bengals minus three.
1: What? Just Tanner. The West Coast to East Coast thing. It, it hasn't it worked for him in six weeks. It no, it works. And he's this like, this week, is going to work this weekend. this is going to be the time. It
5: has worked this year, unlike every time I've picked <laughs> the Lions. It has worked this year. It just
1: didn't work the other 12 times. Yeah. East Coast, West Coast.
3: That's
5: the
1: most interesting Tanner. game this weekend in my Chargers mind. Chargers and Bengals. Yeah.
3: That's the one that I think has got the biggest playoff implications. For sure. Um... You know what? I'm going to start off with a underdog here. I'm kind of surprised that this is only minus two and a half. I'm taking the Patriots on the road in Buffalo.
5: I like it. Wow.
3: I think it's going to be closer than that. I-, I don't know if Patriots are going to win, but I think this is going to be a-, a one or two point game. I wish that
1: was three. I, I would yeah. feel much better if it was three on the road, but I, I do like the pick. I think that's probably where the, the sharp money is going to be coming. Patriots, in this
3: they're just feeling it right now, man. They're just feeling it and i think that defense is going to find a way we've seen bad defenses find a way to stop buffalo what do you think a good defense is going to be able to do did
1: you see the weather report for that game apparently it's going to be just nasty like freezing cold bill belichick weather awful weather and that i mean the the bills don't want to run the football they can't run the ball you typically think of them as being this like team that would do well in that cold weather it's the opposite the patriots are the team that should thrive in that type of a situation so I like the Patriots in that game for sure. All right, my turn with the back-to-back picks. My first one is going to be the Ravens minus the four points uh, going in to Pittsburgh. They're a four-and-a-half-point road favorite in this one. I think Pittsburgh's done. I just think they are cooked. They don't have a quarterback right now. Ben Roethlisberger has looked like legitimately the worst quarterback in the league of late. I think this is a clear bounce-back spot for Lamar Jackson. He's had a weird year with these sicknesses, man. Non-COVID-related illnesses. I don't know what it is. That dude's got to start getting himself a better nutrition plan or something. Because he's sick all the time. So I'm going to go with the Ravens minus the four and a half points on the road at the Steelers. And the other one that I like this week, I'm going to take Georgia minus the six and a half against Alabama. I just don't think
5: Alabama is going to wow. be able to keep this one close. I-, I-, I was
3: so worried to take that one, man. Same.
5: I don't... I. I kind I of feel agree like Alabama. With you. I just am afraid to bet against Nick Saban and Bama. Well, totally get it. And
3: especially in a championship game. Yeah. That's where I'm always afraid to bet in that big. If that was like three and a half, I'd probably go with you there. But six and a half. I don't know if if Bama's going to be losing by that much.
1: I hear you. And and typically, I would be on the same side. I said it earlier this week, or this year, rather, and I still believe it to be true, even though they're in the SEC championship game. This is not the same Alabama team. I think we saw them not exposed, but we saw some of their weaknesses that flashed last week against Auburn. I think you're going to see that again this week against Georgia. Now, you can beat them deep. If Alabama is able to block this Georgia defensive line, Jamison Williams has a chance to have a big game against Georgia. Otherwise, though, I just don't know how you score on Georgia's defense. So I'm going to take Georgia minus the 6.5. I think they win this one by 10+. plus. BK
3: taking two favorites. Oof. I don't know if that's good strategy here. I've got one underdog. Time to go a favorite, and I'm picking Cincinnati over Houston. Minus 10.5. Boy, that makes me stressed a little bit, but... I think that defense can hold down Houston. Being a championship game, Cincinnati has played so good this season, so I'm not too concerned and with this one. they've got
1: everything on the line. Yeah. College football playoff berth.
3: Ten and a half. It always worries me when you're, going plus, when you're going above seven in a spread, but for that one, that matchup, I'm taking Cincinnati.
5: Yeah, I really like that one. And, you know, now that you say that, I feel like I need an underdog. So I'm going to stick with college football. Paint the Hawkeye on my chest because I'm going to take Iowa plus 11 against Michigan. I know Michigan just beat Ohio State, but I feel like that the Big Ten's not as deep as we think. I'm not sold on Michigan just yet. I, I think I like Iowa in this one. I'm not sure they're going to win, but I think they will cover. Give me Iowa plus 11. I like that one
1: just because I think Iowa's defense should be able to keep it close. I don't know how they're going to score in this game, but I think Iowa's defense should do pretty well on that one. I'm up next with my next pick. I, I don't like the fact that I am so favorite heavy in this one. Oh my
3: god, you're going another
1: favorite, three favorites. So I'll give you the two games that I'm looking at. I like Washington plus the one point. Is this still at plus one? Did did this move? I think yeah, so. okay. So it's still at plus one. I'm seeing some places have it as a, as a bigger spread than that. Oh no, that's last week. Never mind. Um, I I think I like Washington plus the one point. I know I like the 49ers minus the three against the Seahawks. The only concern is they don't have Debo, and I don't know that they're going to be the same team without Debo Samuel, Ah. who we said earlier this week, Tanner, I think he's one of the five most terrifying players to see on the opposition. So I'm going to take Washington plus the one to give myself an underdog in this one. I think they win straight up against the Las Vegas Raiders on the road. I'll take Washington plus one point.
3: Oh, that sucks because I was really hoping you were going to take that Steelers-Seahawks game because I don't want to touch Oklahoma State and Baylor with a 10-foot pole. Yep. So I think because the Seahawks are in the midst of a free fall. Yeah, like I don't think they know. We just talked about the Blues not knowing what their identity
5: I'm glad you thought that, too, because I almost pulled up the song. But I, I thought it, right. it was Tanner,
3: and I'm like, how does Tanner even know that song? But good to know you did know that song, Tanner. Uh, Seahawks. He's
1: 70. Of course know. he knows. Well, the someone, so,
3: but behind the scenes during the commercial break, someone texted in and, t- and said, Tanner, play shares Believe Next. And Tanner said, someone said to play this song from some musician. And I'm like, how the hell do you not know who Share is?
5: I have no idea still. Anyway, I'm look it up in the break though.
3: Anyway, I'm taking uh I'm taking 49ers minus 3 because I I even though they have Russell Wilson, I just I I, I don't know if Pete Carroll knows who the hell that team is right now. We talked about the Blues not
5: have don't have think an identity. going to able to
1: turn back time? No.
5: If I could turn back <laughs> That's share. That's share, dude. Share. Come on, man.
1: Oh. Oh my god. I know that song. Well, you know who Cher is. All right, so he's got uh, he's got the 49ers minus the three points at Seattle. Tanner, you've got our final pick. It's between Baylor and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is a five and a half point home favorite in this one.
5: You know, when you're struggling, why not get stuck with a game that nobody wants to touch with the ten foot pole? Amen, brother. I think I'm going to take Baylor. Don't, look, don't suck. I think I'm going to take Baylor plus five and a half. I Oklahoma State. Barely beat Oklahoma last week, and I get it. People will say, well, Oklahoma's a good team. I don't think Oklahoma's that good. I, I, I'm i shocked Oklahoma only lost two games this they year. Spencer so. Rattler. Exactly. I, I think I'm going to take Baylor plus five and a half. That gives me two underdogs, which probably means it's two losses, but I got to send it at this point since I've been struggling. Give me the Baylor Bears plus five and a half.
1: So Tanner's picks for this week. He's got the Bengals minus the three points. He's got Cincinnati minus ten and a half. He does have an underdog. He's going to take Baylor in the Big 12 championship game plus the five and a half. Alex has got the Patriots as a two and a half point road underdog. He's going to take Cincinnati. No, that was
3: Tanner.
5: Don't take my pick.
1: Tanner took Cincinnati. Tanner took Iowa. I mixed those up. Alex took Cincinnati minus the ten and a half points. Nope. Oh, Cincinnati College. I thought you were talking Bengals there. Sorry. I took Cincinnati.
3: Ba- Cincinnati yeah. minus the
1: Guys, 10 and a half. A mess. <laughs> and, is this is confusing. Alex has the 49ers minus three. Just know I'm going to win. My picks for this week, and I've been very good, very good for six weeks now, mm. Alex. Debatable. Ravens minus four and a half. Georgia Bulldogs minus the six and a half. And I'm taking Washington plus one to cover the spread and win outright. Those are our picks for the week. Pick them, fade them, however you want to do it. Do it over on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Coming up next,
2: questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
1: 780 is the air comfort service. X line for questions and answers coming up at the top of the hour. What is the blues current identity and how do they best play to that identity? We'll talk about that at the top of the hour. But right now, let's start with this one from the 314 boys. Why didn't the Cardinals get Stroman instead of Matt's? How much better would you feel about them in 2022 if they did get Marcus Stroman instead of Stephen Matt's?
3: I'd probably be more frustrated because that's a lot more money. And that's more money taking away from them not being able to go to the to the offensive side. Um, if if you were to tell me the offseason was Steven Matz or Marcus Stroman and that was it, and I had to be happy about one, it would be Steven Matz. Because $11 million, that's not as much of an impact as it would be for Marcus Stroman making 20-plus.
5: Yeah, I think I'm I'm with you. I, I, I don't know if I'd say I would have been frustrated, but I... I, I... I would have understood the move because then, to me, you have legitimately two aces on your staff or a guy that's really close you to being do. an Dakota ace. You do, to Hudson
3: and Jack Flaherty.
5: I don't think Hudson's going to be there, though, this year. That's the thing, as I'm thinking of in terms of this coming season. I'm with you. I think Hudson's going to be a stud moving forward. I, I, think, I think I would have been... I would have understood the move. I just would have been frustrated. Not frustrated, but I would have been a little disappointed that they weren't because it clearly would have said they're not going to add a bat offensively. I'm not even convinced they're still going to do it. But at least I have some hope because it was only 11 million to Steven Matz.
1: Yeah, I think Steven Matz was the right play for the Cardinals. And I I do have some questions like, are these fair? Maybe not, but when baseball has actions that tells you more than their words and what i mean by that is there is only a few times in any given year that you actually find out how teams feel about specific players that's when they sign somebody it's when they have to make a decision on uh tenders versus non-tenders it's when they have to make a decision on 40-man roster situations delvin perez how much did we hear this year about hey he's he's taking some strides forward They had to make a decision on whether or not to put him on the 40-man roster, and they decided not to. He's exposed now, and any team that wants him can take him in the Rule 5 draft. So the reason why I bring up all of that is when Marcus Stroman only gets two guaranteed seasons, that's the best offer he was given. This dude was going to go to the highest offer, and that's how all of this works typically in free agency. He got a two-year deal, basically the same one that Justin Verlander had after Tommy John surgery. Makes me wonder if he's not as valued in baseball for whatever reason as the way that we valued him on the outside looking in. So I'm good with him going with Steven Matz. I think he's going to give you Marcus Stroman light. He seems to very clearly be a fit with what they're looking for in the clubhouse. I think it was a good signing. It was a smart signing. And now you've got to go out there and get something else. That $15 million, that gap between what you paid Matz and what the Cubs are currently paying for Marcus Stroman. Let's see how they utilize that money. That's really why you decide that this was the the right deal for the Cardinals as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Um, from the 314, guys, why do you think the Cardinals decided not to bring back Luis Garcia? For me, he seemed to be better than TJ McFarlane last year.
3: I think they view TJ McFarlane as somebody who probably has a little bit more in the tank, and they viewed Luis Garcia as somebody who they... They used up all the gas in that year or in the second half of the season when they got him. I, I, The fact that he signed for $2 million in like three and a half per year tells me that the Cardinals knew something about Luis Garcia that they didn't want to commit to a two-year deal. If it was a one-year deal, I guarantee they probably would have brought him back. They were in conversation with him. But I, I would say be cautious on Luis Garcia for how much people wanted him back because I don't know if he's going to be the same guy this year that he was last year.
5: Oh, I I still think he's going to be awesome. I I think the Padres could have one of the best relief signings of the offseason with that move with Garcia. I'm that high on him. I think the Cardinals unlocked something that he can carry anywhere. I think what it came down to was, A, I don't think the Cardinals wanted to do the extra year. I think they would have rather done one year. And they probably wanted, what was his base salary? Three and a half basically per year, if I'm not mistaken. They probably wanted it to be maybe less than that. Maybe they were thinking the same thing of, hey, you were only able to do it here the rest of your career. You've been average or have really struggled to command the ball. So we think it's only here that you were able to unlock something. They probably maybe low balled him as well. And I think that's what led to him getting the two years and going to San Diego.
1: Yeah. I think all of that makes sense. I also think it's important to remember that TJ McFarland is a lefty. And they needed a lefty coming out of their pen going into next year. And he was able to sign for one year and two and a half million dollars. And he fits perfectly with what they're doing defensively.
3: But you see the one year. That's where it's super
1: important. And I think that was a big part of this as well. If Luis Garcia was willing to take a one year deal, I think he probably would be a Cardinal next year. That's my guess. That is not based on reporting. That is an assumption on my behalf. But that's, that's kind of where I'm at on him. So I think that's why. I think that's why you ended up seeing him go elsewhere. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Last one here from the 573. Do you guys think that Bill DeWitt knows what the owners are going to have to give up at least a year of free agency and negotiations, and that's why the Cardinals are saving money this offseason? Do you think Bill DeWitt... Basically, they're asking... Do you think Bill DeWitt already knows that the the owners are going to have to give in on going to five years for club control as opposed to six? And that's part of what's leading to some of these decisions.
3: No, because I don't think you can ever know what's going to take place in a negotiation. I I mean, you can sit here and assume that, well, this is what's going to happen, but you're not going to play it safe and just say that, oh, this is what's going to happen because there's a chance it doesn't. So, no, I, I don't. I don't think that's true. I Bill DeWitt runs business the same way he's always run business. I don't think he's ever going to change that, despite labor negotiations going on.
5: Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I, I don't think he, I, I don't think he can assume that, and I don't think he does assume that. I, I think he's just, I just don't think that you can, like you said, Alex, go into a negotiation and kind of assume that that's the case. It's going to be. I think the players will probably get that, but I don't think he's had had this view in the offseason that that's going to be the case.
1: So here's a question for you guys. I, I, I don't know the answer to this, and I don't know if you do either. So I might be putting you in a bad spot here, and I apologize if I am. What else? is? There? If this changes, do the second-year arbitration players, would they in, immediately become free agents after next offseason?
5: My son. No, I don't. I don't know are they anything. Grandfathered in, or would they be? I would think you'd have to grandfather them in yeah. because that's all of a sudden just a quick change that an organization hadn't planned for.
3: Yeah, I think you grandfather them in. I think the players that are there now are fighting for the players coming into the league rather than the ones that are already in the but league. I, think I don't know if,
5: how that works. I think, if I'm not mistaken. No, I could be wrong. I I thought Josh Hader was heading into his final year of arbitration. I think he's actually in year two, but let's just use him as an example. I mean, that's a huge blow to the Milwaukee Brewers if if that's the case. I think you'd have to grandfather it in, and to me, that would be the only way owners would approve it because – if you're the Brewers and you know you have one year left, what can you do? Well, you can look to trade him. But if all of a sudden it's just boom, he's a free agent. The Brewers well, are in a tough now, spot. I'm saying now. I'm saying
1: after next. So, like for example, we could just localize with the, this with the Cardinals. The guys that that would apply to Flaherty. are Flaherty, Bader, Reyes, and Hicks. Those are the the four guys for the Cardinals that are in year two of arbitration. So after next season, if it was no longer three years of arbitration, now it becomes two. Those guys would all become free agents, potentially. I
3: think the that's going to have to be negotiated in the labor negotiations. I'm sure the players are going to say, let's start it now. And the owners are going to say, look, if we give into this, it's going to start with the upcoming draft. Those players' clocks immediately start. Rather than the players that are already there, I I would imagine because when you go into a negotiation, everything's negotiated. And if the owners are going to give, I would imagine that's what they're going to tell the players: you got to sacrifice on this end.
1: Yeah, I just wonder where it where it ends. Like, what's the cutoff? Is it guys that are currently in pre-arb? Is it guys that are in year one of arbitration? Is it players that have not yet made it to the big leagues? I wonder when that begins because otherwise, it would take a while. For these players to see the reap the benefits of it, and it's only a five year typically a five year CBA negotiation. So um, I don't know how that's going to work. Like you said, everything could be negotiated, but I would have to imagine it will impact somebody that is currently on the Cardinals, even if it's not those guys that are in year two of arbitration right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, what is the current Blues identity? At least when they're healthy, what is the Blues' identity? And how do you get the best out of them right now to that identity? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. So what is the Blues identity right now? That's the big question. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Earlier today, we asked that of Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie. And he told us, hey, their identity right now is that they're hurt and they're sick. And there's a lot of truth to that, Alex. So if we set that to the side for a moment and we talk about what their playing style is right now, let's use that as the identity. What is it? What, what are they trying to be this year?
3: I don't think they know. And I don't think we know. Uh, Honestly, it feels like this team's at a crossroads right now of deciding what their identity is. And in spurts, we've seen their identity. First five games of the season, I think we all realized that the team was back to that heavy-hitting style. Uh, When they beat the Columbus Blue Jackets, when they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, when they beat the Vegas Golden Knights, I think we all agreed that that looked like the brand of hockey that they're supposed to play. The problem is, I don't know if the Blues players are hundred percent bought into that style, or if it's just a certain group of players, because in my opinion, you have guys who play the heavy hitting puck battle board play 18, 19 season players. You have those guys, Braden Shen, David Perron, Brandon sod, Oscar Sundquist, Ivan Barbashev. Those guys play that way. But right now your best players are the guys who are playing a different brand of hockey. The skill, the finesse, the speed. Kairou, Thomas, Buchnevich, Tarasenko. Those are your best players right now. And then you look on the defensive side for the Blues. Five of their six defensemen are... Four of their six defensemen are offensive-minded defensemen. I'm going off of last night's game. Colton Pareko is an offensive-minded defenseman, although he is a shutdown guy for you. Perunovic, Falk, Krug, Wallman... These guys are all Mikola Perunovic. Mikola is even an offensive-minded defenseman. He likes to jump up into the rush. Curbs was telling the story on Wednesday with us of how he was talking with the skills coach on the AHL side that basically said he'd try and jump up in the rush and then try and pine to get on the power play. He'd score a goal and he'd say, more power play time? More power play time, coach? And the Blues don't want that. So I'm saying all of this to where I don't think this team knows their identity. And Curbs and Joey said it last night on the post game. This team is right now deciding do we want to be this? Or do we want to be that? And right now, I think that's why you're seeing a certain style in games
1: that gets away from their own style. How many teams do have a specific identity? I think maybe that's an important thing to to use as a disclaimer here, where it's like, okay, this is our philosophy, and everybody within the team buys into that specific philosophy. I think Tampa is that way. Like, they, they've got clearly an identity of what they are as a team, and they play to it year in and year out, but... I don't feel like there are a ton of teams that I watch as the Blues go up against them, Alex, and I'm like, oh, this is a clear and coherent from top to bottom of the roster. Everybody is playing the same way. I don't necessarily think it's an inherent problem that the Blues have guys that are playing in different ways. Like even on that roster that they had that won the Stanley Cup. Yes, they were a quote unquote heavy team. But they also had speed. They also had individual players that brought a different component to the ice. I think the thing that stands out to me about the Blues this year and their lack of being physical is that you just the guys that you expected to be that for them this year. Well, a lot of them are banged up right now, and a lot of them aren't actually on the ice. And as a result, yeah, what we're watching right now looks even less physical than we were expecting. And we already knew they were transitioning a bit from that style of hockey. So I don't know that they've completely got away from it. I think those guys just aren't on the ice right now. I don't think they've
3: gotten away from it on the forward side, because I think what they have is they have a good mix of guys who like to be heavy but also the style that goes into it. The first five games of the season, Jordan Kyrie was tearing it up because he was playing with Brayden Shen and Brandon Sod. Like, that was a really good pairing out there. So I don't think the problem's on the forward position. I think it's on the defensive side. Agreed. I think right now, the Blues are going off of the mentality of what they had in Edmondson and Gunnarsson and Petrangelo and Pareco and Bomeister, where there was nobody that was trying to jump up into the rush. They'd get in on the rush when it was in the offensive zone, but other than that, they were focused on their own zone. And right now, you got guys with when the puck's on their stick. They want to go. Krug, Falk, Perunovic. The problem is the Blues strategy is make the smart play out of your zone and let the forwards do the work. And the defensemen thrive off of that. And to your question of other teams that do they have identities, I think you look at the top level teams right now. The Minnesota Wild, I don't know if you've watched any of their games, Minnesota, right Not much, now, man. I'm gonna M- be honest. Minnesota reminds me a lot of the 1819 Blues. I mean, they're heavy. They play heavy, but they have the skill that goes with it. They have Jordan Greenway and Marcus Felino. These guys are big time players, but they have the skill of Kaprizov to go with it. But then on the defensive side, they're heavy in front of their net. They don't allow a lot of chances. The Calgary Flames. Calgary right now is playing Daryl Sutter hockey. Daryl Sutter was the head coach of the L.A. Kings when they won three championships. That's how he's playing with that team, and they have the players to do that. The team that you just lost to, Tampa Bay, you're right. They have the style. The team that you're about to take on for the next two games, the Florida Panthers, you know what their style is? I'm never out of a hockey game. The 1920 Blues that were so good before the bubble play, every time they were down a goal, you expected them to come back. Florida has two consecutive games where they have come from behind three goal deficits. To me, those are teams that I look at and say they've all bought into that identity. And I think because this Blues team is reeling, yes, it is because they don't have Shen at full strength, Sunquist at full strength, and Perron at full strength. But it's also the defensive side, the up-and-down play right now, is because this team's not all bought in on this is the style that we are going to adjust to.
1: I think what's frustrating, if you're a Blues fan, about what you just said there, is that it was so predictable. Like, you could look at the blue line coming into the season and say, what are they missing? If this team is going to have issues in 2021, I think we even asked this of Jeremy Rutherford before the season. Hey, you look at this roster, it looks very talented. It looks very deep, both in terms of your forwards and also your defensive pairings, potentially. Like, they were going to have to send down somebody that was a quality player to the AHL. They ended up sending down to juniors a quality player in Jake Neighbors because of the depth of the team, and there just wasn't obvious playing time for these guys. And so we asked, you know, what... If this goes wrong, if they don't end up being the team that we're projecting them to be, how does that happen? And the answer was before the season, everybody could see it. Well, it's the defense. If they don't have a guy that steps up into that top four alongside Colton Pareko and Falk and Krug, well, then you're going to have some issues. And that, honestly, a lot of this is as simple as that last guy that pieces into your top four kind of is your identity piece on the back end. Marco Scandella. It's Scandella. It used to be Bowmeester. Um, th- that guy, that piece that they're missing right now, they just have never replaced Jay Bo Meester. And And I don't know that there isn't another Jay Bo Meester out there for no. you to replace He's him a, one for one. Guys, a
3: Hall of Famer. It's not going to happen.
1: But stylistically, the way that he played, you have not been able to replace him, and I think they're still searching for that guy. Can it be Niko Mikola? Can it be Scott Perunovic? He plays it in a very different way, no doubt about it. But he can't, can he have that effect? that uh, that pr- steadying presence on the back end that you had back there with Jay meester, we knew it was going to be a question coming into the season. The problem is there are zero answers. I think there are even more questions now about that than there were coming into the year. And I, I don't know where you find it. I don't know where you turn. And I know
3: a lot of people are asking, okay, well, what happens then if this isn't the identity, what do they do? Look, I don't like this. I don't agree with this. I asked Mike McKenna this, but unfortunately, if the identity of this team isn't working, the head coach is the one that gets the blame. He, he gets the blame for this. And I don't think that's true because if you look at how the Blues have played this season, there are times where you're like, oh man, this is this is a Stanley Cup contending team. We said it in the first five games of the season, BK, all three of us did. So that's why it's like the scapegoat cannot be Craig Berube. But I think the problem is on the defensive side right now, they don't have the guys that match Craig Berube style and I think that's why we're seeing three goals scored three or more goals scored in a majority of these hockey games and on top of it you're seeing the mistakes in their own zone maybe it is a five-man unit like I've talked about but it all goes down to the defensemen because they're the ones that are starting to rush up the ice
1: 65780 is the air comfort service text line man there is so much truth to this text from the 314 isn't it crazy how much hate Jay Bo got But now he's the guy that we all miss. His style of play is exactly what this team is missing right now.
3: 100%.
1: There's so much truth to that. It's the same thing that I say consistently about a guy like Harrison Bader on the Cardinals. Some of the guys that while they are in your lineup or on your defensive pairings and playing 20 plus minutes a night, you watch them. You're like, man, I just if only they didn't have that guy out there and then they leave. And it is the old mantra of you just don't know what you got until it's gone. And right now, what are the Blues missing? They're missing that steadying presence on the back end that just every single night he's the same dude and he is a consistent defensive defenseman. They don't have that player. They haven't had that player other than like a two-week stretch where Marco Scandella looked like he was going to be that guy for them. And the problem is there are no obvious candidates to become. That player. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes, we can go ahead and rule out Alex's favorite trade target for the Cardinals if this is the asking price for him. We'll talk about that coming up at 1230. But next, NFL weekend look ahead. What's the matchup you're most looking forward to see? And which team has the most to gain with a win this weekend? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: Wall to wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and EB Granite. Bernie Federico's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. <laughs>
1: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Ch- Community Ch- Ch- Ice Ch- Center. It's actually an intriguing weekend in oh, yeah? the NFL. Yeah, there's a few really compelling games that I can't wait to sit down Well, tell down me and about it, BK. That I will not be talking about with you much next week. We'll have a couple of days together, Alex. It'll be great fun. We'll get all of our takes out over Monday you sure you and Tuesday. You you don't
3: want to just take Monday and Tuesday off?
1: Hey man, if you want me to
5: take the days off, by all oh, means, I'll be out of here. Calm down over there. <laughs> Tanner's like, no, no, Tanner, no. Dude, I'm
3: trying to get you more airtime, bro.
5: Bro, it's all good right. as it is now. Trust me. Let's
3: get into <laughs> well, our are NFL yeah.
1: weekend look ahead. Let's start out with this. What's the number one matchup you're excited to watch this weekend, Alex? You can sit down. You can only watch one game on Sunday. What is it? It's Cowboys and Saints. Well, that was last night. Oh,
3: okay. I missed. must have missed that then. The Vikings and Lions. No, that's a lie also. No, it's the Chargers Tanner's and Bengals. Tanner's looking forward to that one. Tanner is looking. Hopefully Lions the Lions can pull that one dub. out. Let's
5: uh, go. I've,
3: I've done that the last two weeks. I'm done with that trash from now on. It's Chargers and Bengals. Uh, and, and I don't know if the Chargers are the best opponent to decide if the Bengals are a serious contender this year. But I think for me, that's going to tell me if, the, if, if Cincinnati's ready for the playoffs. And from what I've seen, the team not only looks like they're ready for the playoffs, but they're ready to win a game in the playoffs, which is more than they can say for like the last ten years. Um, so I think the one I'm looking forward to the most is sitting down to watch Chargers and Bengals. Tanner?
5: Yeah, I'm with you for that game on Sunday. Also, like Washington football team at the Las Vegas Raiders, because I think the Raiders are better than six and five, but they're really struggling, and Washington's playing well. The game I really wanted to say, but it's not on Sunday, is the Monday Night Football game. That, Go that ahead. to me You're is. Good. That, oh, okay. Well, good, well, screw those other games. I'm not even going to watch football Sunday. Oh, I didn't know in, we could I, do Monday. I'm just watching Monday night football between the Bills and the Patriots. The I'm, buying back as, I'm buying back into the darkness in New England and the hood.
3: The darkness in New England and the – what just happened, man? What just Spooky happened? stuff.
1: Is he talking about Boys in the Hood? Is, is
5: it's a great movie,
3: movie, by the way. Is, the, is that what he's referencing? Is he
1: watching Boys in the Hood on Monday night or is he watching Bills versus Patriots? I'm not know. sure. probably watching Ice Cube. I So you guys said the two best games. The other one that I'm intrigued by is 49ers at Seahawks. The 49ers last week, and the reason why is specifically because of San Francisco. It has nothing to do with Seattle, who I think is a bad football team right now. But if the 49ers are legitimately a playoff team, they should win this by 10 or more. Because if you're looking at the NFC right now and you're looking at the playoff mix... They are squarely in it. In fact, if the season ended today, they would be the sixth seed in the postseason. They're a game behind the L.A. Rams, guys. It's not that far off to imagine them playing in the first round against Dallas. I would give them a chance against Dallas, to be totally honest with you guys, in the postseason. But I need to see it. I need to see them do this without Debo in the lineup. He's banged up. He's probably not going to be playing on Sunday. I'm interested to see what the 49ers are able to do offensively against the Seahawks. So that's the one that I would put, though the two that you mentioned are easily the two best games this weekend. What is the upset that you believe we will watch on Sunday or Monday? If you want to say Monday, that's fine. What's the upset you're anticipating this weekend?
3: Well, I think Tanner's going to say the Lions over the Vikings.
5: I've given up on them. <laughs> they stink. <laughs>
3: You know, uh, my gut wants to go Jaguars and Rams, but I just can't believe that. I mean, I know the Rams are bad, but they ain't going to be that bad. I think I'm going to take the Jets over the Eagles. I don't know if if a lot of people...
1: uh, By the way, Hurts is questionable right now. Jalen Hurts might not play. And that's why
3: I'm not sure if people will view it as an upset because, I mean, even the Eagles, they're not playing that great. But in in sense of just generic football fan, if you were to say Jets beat the Eagles, you'd be like, what the hell happened there? Uh, the Jets defense is just really good. And I think people don't give it enough credit for what it has been. I mean, heck, it's the reason they've won three games this season. So uh, it's either that one of the Texans over the Colts for me. Whoa. One of those two. Yeah. Yeah. One of those two.
5: Well, don't take the Texans. That what? might be worse than picking the, the Lions. The no. Texans have one of
1: the worst defenses in the league. Do you know what the Colts would like to do against the Texans with Jonathan Taylor? Throw the ball. They'd probably like to run it right down their throat well, that's good from for start me. to finish. If you're playing DraftKings this weekend, you're playing over on FanDuel this weekend, Daily Fantasy, make sure you get yourself some Jonathan Taylor in those lineups. Highly recommend doing that. By the way, Elijah Mitchell, start him as well. Uh, would not take the Texans in this one. Tanner, what's the upset
5: you
3: Don't like? Don't tell me what to do, man. Damn.
1: You know that's my role
5: here. I I think I'm going to go with the Seahawks. and I can't believe I am because they are free-falling, but... This feels like the game that, for some reason, Russ is going to show up. It's a rivalry game. The 49ers may not have Debo Samuel, and I think that would be huge for them. I just see this being that one game that will go, oh, Russ is back, and then they'll lose the rest of the year. I think my upset pick is going to be the Seahawks.
3: But the 49ers will keep it. They'll win by three.
5: That's right. You hope.
1: That's right. I like Washington going into Las Vegas. It's only a one-point line, so I don't even know if it's a huge upset Uh, And so it it does feel like a little bit of a cop-out. If I'm going to go with an upset, though, it's Monday night. Patriots going into Buffalo. I think they win straight up. I think the Patriots are the better football team. I think they end up taking down the bills on the road on Monday night football. So if I was going with one upset this weekend, that would be the one. Here's an interesting question for you guys. At least I find it to be interesting. Who's the team that can gain the most respect from you this weekend if they're able to win? They pull off a win, and you're like, you know what? Whether it be they went from, ah, middling to, uh, I, I think they're in the playoff mix now, or they were a playoff contender and now maybe in a Super Bowl conversation. Who's the team that can gain the most respect if they were able to get a victory this weekend?
5: Texans. <laughs> Wouldn't be hard for them to earn my respect. Really?
1: Yeah. That's
3: good to know. Uh, well, I think the answer here is either Cincinnati or the Patriots, but I'm going to take another one. I'm going to go the Vikings here. And I know they're playing. Okay. Kn- I know they're playing the Lions. Hold on, hear me out here for a minute. Oh
1: one. <laughs> I'm interested in the explanation. Yeah, that
3: was a bad. I don't know if I can polish that turd. I'm going to actually <laughs> pick the Patriots and just stick with the easy opt he out was here. Really
1: going to say? I was going to try. to gain my respect. Well, I was thinking- by beating the O ten and one Lions. The Lions have beaten. Zero teams through 11 weeks. And how yeah, is was going to gain respect for the Vikings if they were able the lions, to take down the mighty Lions. The
3: Lions have lost because Jared Goff is their quarterback. Their defense has actually played pretty well.
5: Whatever. I, oh. <laughs> I don't know how you were going to sell that. Uh, I, mine is going to try. Mine is going to be the Patriots. I know <laughs> I I've gave said respect that. for you for trying to explain it. Gonna <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to go with the Patriots. I know that I've said the, the last couple weeks that I think they are the favorites in the AFC. I, I think they can show that to everybody if they can go on the road and beat Buffalo. I, I think they solidify themselves as the best team in the AFC. I don't know about Super Bowl contenders if they can go on the road and beat Buffalo. Now if they blow them out, maybe. But they're they're they're, they're my team.
1: You know who the team is for me? I, I, I think Alex kind of mentioned this earlier. No, it's definitely not Detroit. It's the 49ers. I, I talked about this earlier, what they can do if they're able to to take down the Seahawks. I just want to see them with that same mentality, that run-first mentality against a team that cannot stop it typically. Are you able to do this consistently if you are the 49ers? Because I've seen the ups and the downs this year. Uh, make this a couple of weeks in a row where you are just able to completely uh, impose your will upon, uh, upon your opponent. Another team, though, that I am interested in finding out what they can do is the Denver Broncos. The Broncos are playing against Kansas City on Sunday night football. I don't anticipate the Broncos winning this game. I will obviously be picking the Chiefs, but the Broncos have quietly been playing better football since they traded Von Miller. It's a little strange that their season turned for the better when they traded one of their best players. They beat the Cowboys a few weeks ago. They dominated the Chargers last weekend. If they are able to beat the Chiefs on Sunday, look at their upcoming schedule. You've got Detroit, which should be a win for them. That would put them at eight wins on the season. At Las Vegas, that could be a win for them. That could be at nine. And then they just have to win one of Cincinnati, the Chargers, and the Chiefs down the stretch to get to 10. That probably gets you into the playoffs. If they beat Kansas City on the road on Sunday Night Football, a team that they have not beaten in their last 13 tries... I would gain a lot of respect for the Denver Broncos and what they're able to do potentially down the stretch. That would be a big win for them.
3: I would if their opponent wasn't so bad. Okay.
1: All right. True. (laughs) Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, Alex had a clear-cut number one trade candidate going into the offseason. We can go ahead and write or cross him off of the list. We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're back to more exclusive blues talk. 101 ESPN is live from the Centine Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and e Granite. Bernie Fiderko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring.
1: So Alex's favorite trade target. We can go ahead and take him off the board for the Cardinals with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and Why I'm was Brandon Riley. It's BK and Ferrario broadcasting live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Team Community Ice Center. He was not traded, and he will not be traded, most likely because of the asking price. So Ken Rosenthal uh, is taking a rundown of all of the. The moves that were and the moves that were not uh, leading into the deadline before the CBA expired. He wrote this morning over on The Athletic, the Diamondbacks, who acquired righty Zach Gallin, who Cardinals fans are well aware of, from the Marlins for infielder Jazz Chisholm at the 2019 trade deadline, almost certainly would want another starting pitcher in any Starling Marte, or excuse me, not Starling Marte, Cattell Marte trade and other players would have to come back in that kind of a deal as well. Marte would likely command more in a trade than Paul Goldschmidt did when he was under control for one more season when the Diamondbacks traded him to the Cardinals in December of 2018. End quote. If they're expecting more in return for Marte than they got what was a Goldschmidt trade for Goldie Carson Kelly. Uh, that was the uh Carson Kelly, Luke Weaver, and there was somebody else involved too. Yeah, I'm forgetting who the third player was in that deal. But they gave up three. Obviously, it wasn't very important. Two top prospects and then another prospect in it. The Cardinals are not going to that degree. They're, it's just not going to happen. At that point in time, Luke Weaver was. I mean, who's the comp right now? It, he'd probably be above Oviedo, Dakota He's Hudson,
3: not,
5: maybe. No. Jake Woodford. Because Hudson was viewed as, I think, if I was saying. Than Woodford, a top, I don't think so. Top 10 uh, Luke, prospect. Luke, there was
1: a time when Luke Weaver was a pr- better prospect a time,
5: in the Cardinal system than
1: Flair There was
3: a time, but when he was traded, he had already been in the rotation, and we had seen Luke Weaver as a Cardinal starter, and he was good, but he wasn't more than a number three in your rotation at best. I think Jake Woodford would be probably equal to
1: to what Luke Weaver was when you traded him. I don't think so, man. I don't think teams viewed him that way, at least. I, I think he was he was a little higher regarded than that. Um, I think that the only guy that would probably compare, and this is unfortunate, like I just don't think that they have anybody really uh, as a one-for-one. One. Like in 2017, he was the 50th ranked prospect in all of baseball, Luke Weaver was. I, I think it would be um, Liberator. Like, you'd have to give up Liberator plus probably... Uh, trying to think of what the one-for-one the one would be for Kelly. I mean, I guess it would be what's-his-face? Herrera. Um, Herrera, Von Herrera, and then you'd add in one more piece. I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to that degree no. for Cattell Marte or anybody, really.
3: No, of course not. That's not going to happen. And, and If it's anybody in your top four, they're not going to be trading them, like in your prospects. You're not going to be trading those guys away. I, I mean, Arizona says that now, but, I mean, at some point, Arizona's got to know that they're not going to be – making that much of a difference. And maybe once this arbitration thing gets figured out and we do find out that it's grandfathered.
1: know Marte doesn't have arbitration. That's that's why he's so valuable. He's already signed for the next Oh, they got seasons. the extension.
3: That's right. Yeah, 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 that's correct. I don't know. I mean, look, anytime a team realizes that they're not going to be making a difference, you'd always find somebody. But you're right. If I mean, if you're talking top four prospects, no. Cardinals shouldn't make that deal because as great as I think Cattel Marte would be to this team, those prospects are a lot more important to you.
5: Yeah, the, I I wouldn't see a way the Cardinals would make that move, and the difference too in terms of looking if we're going to use those guys as the comps, which I think is pretty fair. In terms of Libertor and uh, Herrera, is that the Cardinals have kind of seen those guys in the big leagues? <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, they uh, so they had seen Weaver in the big leagues, and they knew okay, how do we really view him? I think their view of him became less when they saw him in the big leagues compared to. What other teams saw. They haven't seen the Libertor in the big Gonzalez. leagues. Yeah, they haven't seen Libertor in the big leagues yet, so there's no, like, in terms of, there's no really, okay, maybe our projections changed on him. And in terms of Carson Kelly, I think they were still very high on him. The problem was that they knew Yadier Malin was going to play for a couple more years. It's pretty, they feel pretty confident now that Yadier's either done after this year because he said he's going to retire, or if not, then possibly even the next year after that, which is probably the more, better timeline for Yvonne Herrera. So, I don't see any scenario in which they would trade those guys for a Cattell Marte, and honestly, I think Arizona could get a top pro- top prospects in a deal like that. Somebody I think would pony up for a Cattell Marte because he's versatile, power hitter, can really change a lineup.
1: Yeah, when he was traded, Carson Kelly was the number fifty five prospects in Major League Baseball. He was number forty five in some of the other players, in other places rather. So he was a top fifty prospect. I mean, you're talking Nolan Gorman. That, that's the range that he was at prior to last season in terms of his prospect status. So, I, I mean, maybe the, instead of looking at it as Yvonne Herrera plus Matthew Libertor, it might be closer to Nolan Gorman in Matthew Libertor is what the cost would be in a deal like this. And guys, there's just no chance, no, no chance that they would go to that degree to be able to make a, a deal like this happen. The reason why I wanted to bring it up is just because as we look forward and project to February, March, whenever things open back up again for free agency, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be active on the trade market this offseason. If they were going to be in that market, I think it would have been for a starting pitcher. And now that they have acquired Steven Matz, the four-year $44 million deal, I think that's just your replacement for what you would have had if you were going to the market for a Pablo Lopez from the Marlins or if you wanted to go get Sean Mania from the A's, who was my favorite candidate Those were the guys that were the equivalent on the trade market to your Steven Mats in the free agency market. So I think moving forward, if they're going to make any moves of any sort of significance, it's probably coming via free agency.
3: Yeah, it makes sense because unless you're able to find a bat, a bench bat that you feel like can, I don't know, turn into some Cardinals devil magic, which I don't know how many of those guys are going to be out there for you, but it makes the most sense because the starting pitcher, you were able to probably find somebody and not have a massive hit to your prospect pool with what the trade would look like. And now everything that's going to be out there in terms of bat, bullpen arms, you're going to have to pay too much for, and it's just not going to be worth it. I do think Cattell Marte would be worth it if you pulled off a deal. It just depends on how much you're giving up. Like, giving up Ivan Herrera, that might sting a little bit. If you were to do like a a Libator and a Yepes for him, I think that might be worth it for the Cardinals. Yeah,
1: I just can't imagine that that would be enough for the Diamondbacks to to pull off that kind of a deal. With that much club control, there's just no leverage for anybody else. The, the Goldie deal got done because they knew they weren't going to be able to bring him back. Two years from now, if you want to trade for Cattell Marte, I think you could get a pretty good deal done. you would be if washed up by then. But right now, with three years left of club control, they just don't have any reason why they need to get that kind of a deal done now if you're the Diamondbacks. I did want to ask you guys this as we're kind of looking at a refresh of where we stand today. Where do you think the Cardinals rank relative to the rest of the National League after seeing some of the front end of the big money deals get done Corey Seager ends up leaving the National League. He is now with Texas. Uh, The big name signings in the National League, there just weren't really a whole lot outside of what we saw the Mets do. Scherzer ends up on the Mets. You've got Starling Marte now on the Mets. Marcus Stroman goes to the Cubs. The uh, Dodgers decided to bring back Chris Taylor. But like I said, they do end up losing Corey Seager The other big moves in the National League, I mean, it's Avisail Garcia. Steven Matz was one of the biggest money deals other than the ones that I've already mentioned. The Giants just basically brought back their rotation. The Mets bringing in Mark Hanna and Eduardo Escobar. It just wasn't a ton of big-time acquisitions in the National League. Most of the moves that were made at the top end came in the American League, with Texas and Detroit being the big-time spenders, and then Robbie Ray and Kevin Gossman going to Seattle and Toronto did the moves at all that we've seen so far change the way you view the National League compared to the way that we did view it at the end of the last season, Tanner?
5: I I think so because I think heading into last year, there were two big favorites and that was San Francisco and the Dodgers. And then they just got knocked out and the Braves went on just this magical run. I think the National League is just a complete toss-up right now. I, I can't sit here today and say, here's the favorite because just real quick, looking at the NL East, the Marlins, I still think the offense needs an upgrade. I love their young pitching. The Phillies need help in the bullpen. The Braves look good. They're going to get Acuna back. They're going to have Ozuna back, but their rotation isn't appealing to me. I look at the NL Central, the Brewers, their rotation seems appealing. Their offense is, to me, still on the same level it was last year, even though they got Hunter Renfro. Nobody else really in the NL Central. you got the Cardinals who made the signing with Matt's, but I still think they're about an 87-win team right now. And then I look at the NLS, the Dodgers. I don't think they're going to be as good. I'd, I have some questions on their rotation. Their bullpen has two of their biggest free agents out there. They lost Canable already. They've got mm-hmm. Joe Kelly, who's a free agent. Kelly Jansen's a free agent. The Giants, as you said, brought back the crew, but but there's no Buster Posey. And then the San Diego Padres didn't have the starting pitching that we thought they had last year, and they're clearly looking for that help as well. So, to me, I can't sit here today and pinpoint a favorite in the National League. I might give the edge to the Braves just because they won the World Series, but they're missing some of those key players that were contributors, like Eddie Rosario, MVP, not there. So,
1: Jock Peterson. Jock
5: Peterson. So I, I can't look at any team in the National League and say, that's the favorite. I'm not even sure. Could you really pinpoint a 95-win team in the National League right now? Yeah, I think, uh, I, think Braves, I think there's a few. The Mets, Mets I, the the I think the Braves, the Mets, and the Padres are. I don't think anybody in the NL East is. I could hear the argument for maybe like the Dodgers or somebody, but I look at the NL West and I say, that's a toss up too. I think those three teams will beat up on each other. The NL East underperformed last year. And I have no reason to believe it will now. And then the NL Central, I could see the Brewers and Cardinals just beating up on each other and we could throw the Cubs. And I think they'll steal a couple wins from those teams as well.
1: I can't get to the 95 point 95 win point with you, but I do, I, I get where you're coming from on the, I, I don't know who to peg as the clear cut favorite in the national league, because I think what you're getting at is every team has a potential fatal flaw this year. Going into last season, I couldn't pinpoint the fatal flaw with the Dodgers. They looked complete to me. I mean, from top to bottom, you looked at the pitching depth that they had. It ended up being a problem by the end of the year. But they, even more so than the Cardinals, looked like they could have, like, two legitimately great Major League rotations ready to go the moment that they, had, they started the season. It didn't end up working out that way, but they still won 106 games this year. The depth is about to be tested in a big way for the Dodgers. If they're not able to bring back some of these guys, Gavin Lux is probably going to have to be a starter for them every day for the first time in his career. Their outfield has a bunch of dudes that are going to be fill-ins. Basically, they need Cody Bellinger now to be a uh, MVP type of candidate again. And they're pitching. You look out of their bullpen. They've got like three dudes you trust. Maybe you look at their rotation. There are injury questions all over in that rotation right now. So they should be the team normally that you can point to and say, okay, yeah, they're going to win hundred games and it's a matter of what, who else is able to step up around them. The national league has come back to the pack a little bit. It reminds me of what we're watching this year in the NFL where it's like, okay, the chiefs came back to the pack a little bit. The bucks are very good. It, it feels to me like they came back to the pack a little bit as well and these other teams all got marginally better. So you've got a lot of good teams, but no real great teams in the NFL. I think you could see something very similar next year in Major League Baseball, where it's just a lot of very good teams that are winning between 90 and 96 games, as opposed to last year, 106 and 107 for the Giants, where they were just clear-cut the two best teams in, in the Major League.
3: Yeah, for me, I, I think the Mets are a clear favorite in the National League. I think the Padres are a clear favorite in the National League. I I understand the pitching was bad, but it, I felt like it was kind of an offset year, and I feel like with what they did on the manager side, I, I think those are the two dominant teams. I do think the Dodgers took a step back, and I'm still pending to see what happens with the Braves because if the Braves don't bring Freeman back, that's going to be a one. massive blow. And for the Phillies, I think the Phillies can get there, but like T Bone said, they got to address that bullpen. Yep. So. I think there's two clear-cut favorites, and then everyone else is in between.
5: The reason I can't even put the Mets up there, because I do love the moves that they've made with Marte and Scherzer, is I don't know who the manager is. And you may say, well, it's a manager. How's the how's that an impact? I mean, look at San Diego. They had the pieces last year, sure, injuries played a part of it. They didn't have the guy in the clubhouse to guide them. They went out and got the veteran guy in Bob Melvin. I expect the Mets to do the same thing, but until I see it, I can't sit here and say... Yeah, they're the best team, and also with the Grams injury history and Scherzer having dead arm in the playoffs, I have some concerns about the rotation.
1: He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on 101
2: ESPN. Let's open it up the junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. There are
1: some things in life that when you accomplish them alex you should make sure that if you get something that's a certificate or a trophy or whatever it is you should make sure that is prominently featured wherever you live with alex Ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 espn if i were to win a heisman trophy My Heisman Trophy would be the first thing you see whenever you walk into my house.
3: Is this your way of telling uh, T-Bone and I that you have a participation trophy of your kindergarten soccer team up in your house? Yeah, it's on my mantle. A blue ribbon? Absolutely. You better believe that. Is that even a trophy, it's just a ribbon?
1: I'm proud of you, man. So Matt Leiner won a Heisman Trophy when he was at USC. Yeah, he paid for it. And if I were him... I would have that thing, you know, maybe it's above a fireplace or I don't know. Maybe it's literally on the, on the table that's in my living room. So everybody that comes into my house, they got to see it's that. next thing. to my bed. Wherever. It's somewhere that I can see it regularly. But I, the reason I wouldn't want it next to my bed, I want everybody else to see that thing. I'm proud of that, right? Depends on how active you are. Where would you guess my lineard is currently keeping his Heisman trophy? In a box in
5: his basement, probably. I was going to go on like a shelf in his bathroom. You guys aren't far off. According to him, he was on the Pat McAfee show Mine was the week. basement.
1: His was the bathroom. How the hell are we not far off? Because they're both relatively similar to where it's at. Bathroom, He said, basement. I don't have a spot for the Heisman, so it kind of just chills under some clothes in my closet. Can you imagine winning a Heisman trophy? There are, I mean, it is an elite group of people that have ever been in that same category with Matt Liner. I mean, it it keeps you relevant for the rest of your life for some people if you're able to accomplish that while you're in college and his is just chilling in his closet are you kidding me under clothes too oh come on man the the amount of disrespect well, maybe he
3: maybe he actually is you know a good person it doesn't like to brag you know he's not, a, he's not he's a humble guy you guys wouldn't have it Sitting uh, look,
1: out somewhere where look, everybody. BK, can I'm see? a humble
3: guy. If I Me won too. the Heisman, I'd sit here and be like, "Yeah, you know, it, it was it was my team. It was a team trophy." B.K. You comes in
5: here bragging about getting his license renewed. B.K. Like comes in here bragging about the
3: ratings for the show, and I'm just like, "Hey, man, Number you know what? One I'm happy." Show
5: in town, man. No, Number no, one, you know, one midday
1: and, show and in town. And I walk in, I say, "You, you guys know what? made this happen, by the way." No, you all, B.K. You walks in and says, "I'm the reason
3: that this happens," and I say, "You know what? Listeners do great, but I want to just continue to be better."
1: People between, or men between the ages of 25 and 54, they choose this this show. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't understand. I it. know why. It's usually the hate. This show more than any other in town in the month of November. How about that? I love. Y- I shady, love our man. listeners so much. You guys much. are the absolute best. Um, do you have anything that is featured? That's like, maybe it's for you, maybe it's your wife, but something that you guys have prominently featured in your house. It's an accomplishment, a, c- a certificate, a trophy, something of that that you. You proudly present to everybody yeah, in your I house.
3: mean, other than our college degrees, I, I mean, the, the one for me is is the Stanley Cup ring, obviously. But, I mean, it's in my basement. You know, it's I don't have it, like, sitting out for everyone to see. I have it in my oh. basement. When we're downstairs, people see it. But that's about it.
5: Huh. Tanner, it's do you so, have anything? Yeah, but mine's back from, like, high school. So, like, I've the got. The chick a, magnet poster. I do have that. I should he, hang that He has that
3: frame. It's the only thing he I has in his that, apartment. I should
5: hang that up above my bed frame. That's where that should go. Uh, no, the the two that I have that I like to show is the uh, all conference or the plaque for us winning the sectional that I got from when I was playing tennis in high school, which civilized our undefeated season and get to state. And then I've got something. It's like a piece of paper that was I was all state my senior year as well. That's my stuff. So it's not it's no Stanley Cup stuff. ring, but
3: well, BK, you forgot about what we have both up in our houses. We're the home run champions from the softball home run tournament. Yeah yeah we 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 actually took the bat that we hit all of the home runs with and we have Alex.
1: it up on our walls Jamie hit the same number of home runs that day as we did no Jamie
3: probably hit more at just somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> Jamie hits a Jamie hits a home run every day he wakes up he's a former superstar NHL defenseman
1: I don't know what it says about me, but I got nothing. I've got nothing prominently featured at my house. I have no real life accomplishments other than this show. Wow. And they handed it to me because nobody else was available. <laughs> they were like, hey, it's a pandemic. You're here. Uh, figure it out.
3: <laughs> I'd say you probably should get into some, like, rec sports leagues, something not like that. Not good enough to get anything How there, you, man. Wait, didn't
5: you play sports in high school? How do you have legitimately nothing?
1: I mean, yeah, I played, but I wasn't, like, a superstar.
5: I mean, I wasn't either. On team. I wasn't. You, no just you were had all state, 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 bro.
1: It's not a superstar. I mean, you were like the only one from the state. I wasn't an all-state high school football player in 6A. I'll say okay, that I, much. I,
5: I, ha- I should clarify. The reason I say that is because it's split into two spots. There's the north part of the state and the south part of the state. I was all conference in the south part of the state. And no offense to the tens community in southern Illinois. <laughs> <but> kind of garbage. <laughs>
1: It was Tanner and two other kids that they had to choose from, and two of them got it.
5: Yeah, but <laughs> your boy has it on the fridge. It's like winning go. the
3: spelling bee, and everyone else just bowed out because they were bored. But it I won.
1: Just, Tanner was told, hey, if you spell cat, you win this, and you'll take home the award for the best speller in the
5: state of Illinois. And I messed that up, and they made me correct it, and I got it right and won. Someone said, I'm 53
3: years old. What are you guys going to do to keep me after 54? T-Bone will do whatever you ask, 636.
1: Somebody said, BK, don't for be $40. so hard on yourself. You." Have Patio set that's something that you
3: proudly present to your guests no we don't uh, i thought you had three fourths didn't somebody take that other one
1: no i got i got half oh. i got two of the four chairs
3: oh, that's <laughs> this great. weekend sorry about that with
1: alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. coming up next can we take a moment to talk about mizzou hoops because what i watched last night was one of the most embarrassing displays of basketball in any level and that includes watching myself that i have ever seen in my life we'll talk about it next on 101 espn
2: Wall-to-wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federico's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring.
1: Can we have a conversation about Mizzou basketball for just a moment? We'll talk about college football and the do awesome we really weekend that's to? about to take place here in just a minute. And that's Ben Heisler questions. will join us at about 1:20 to talk about the NFL slate coming up this weekend. Why do you want to put yourself through this heartbreak? Why no, I do think I, we talk
5: about? Because it's fun.
1: Why do I watch this stupid team? Why do I spend my my time that I could do anything with? I'm I'm planning a wedding right now. I'm leaving for Punta Cana a week from now. I spend my time watching a basketball team that scored 14 points in the first half yesterday against Liberty. Where's Liberty play, BK? I don't know. What conference do they
3: play in? Uh, not a good one. No, they probably play in the SEC, the toughest conference in
1: in pro or in uh, college sports. So that's part of the issue here. <laughs> the SEC is actually good at basketball this year. Normally they stink. But they've gotten a lot better in recent years, and now they're actually pretty decent. And so Liberty was supposed to be one of those games that you look on the schedule, and you're like, oh, we play Liberty night. It'll be fine. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Alex, like the emu. I spent zero time watching the first half until there was about two minutes to go. I looked on my phone, and I had four different text messages from friends that are Mizzou fans, all of which said something to the degree of, what the bleep? <laughs> I had one friend that texted me that said... I want to stop watching this game, but I can't because it's just a car accident every time that Mizzou has the ball and they try to take it into transition. Alex, they had more turnovers in the first half than they had points scored. They had 15 turnovers in the first half. It was like Ill- watching Illinois basketball Whoa. when it came to the ball handling right Whoa, now. Watch out The now. problem was at least Illinois scores. Oh, At least they know how to put the ball in the bucket every once in a while. That's My true. favorite team, the one that I watch every every other night right now, they can't score, dude. It's like six of their first ten games or six of their first eight games. They've scored twenty-five points or fewer in the first half. That's impossible. You can't do that twice in a season, much less six of your first eight games. I'm out. I'm out. I'm no longer a Mizzou basketball fan for the rest of this season. I can't do it anymore. You, so you're done. Oh. I can't watch this scene. So
3: you're rooting for the Jayhawks then.
1: No, don't say that. I'm out. I'm not out. Who are you rooting for then? I'm joining Tanner's bandwagon. Well, they're not Uh, that great either. Get off my bandwagon. (laughs) They're not that great either. They're
5: a BKO waiting to happen. A lot of
1: turnovers. I can't do this. I can't do it. Let me ask you this, I I can't spend my time watching a team that that they scored fewer points than they played minutes. You're right. In the game in the first half. You're right. Your
3: time is way too valuable. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Is this coaching? Three for
1: 19 from beyond the arc. Three for 19.
3: Is this coaching or is this recruiting? Yes. Okay, good. So then, why the hell does Conzo still have a job?
1: Man, he's got six million dollars as a buyout.
3: But if you're Mizzou and that is the product, wouldn't you just say, "Look, we got to just take our losses here, and we got to get something"? I mean, I know basketball isn't the top money maker for the Missouri Tigers. That was football, but it's got to be a top five, right, in terms of money maker for the
1: university. Basketball? Yeah. I mean, it's second behind football.
3: It's the way they're playing's it got to be third, but behind like women's He's basketball. Sure. Women's basketball is Guys, better right now. Last
1: night, last night in the second half, you can go over to the Mizzou Hoops Twitter. I couldn't believe it when I saw this. This is how far we have fallen. This is a Kim Anderson type of a tweet. The Mizzou Hoops Twitter did Conzo
3: right come out of a, cor- uh, uh, a, a coffin? A coffin? Oh
1: no, <laughs> we're, not, we're not there yet. Okay, they really tweeted out Kobe Brown with a three from deep. They are now outscoring Liberty twenty-seven to twenty-one this half. Yeah. Alex, at the time,
0: they we were losing go.
1: by 20. I was going to say, wait, what does that mean? They, they were losing. outscored at that point in time, Liberty, in the second half, 27-21. But they forgot to mention that in the first half, Missouri was outscored 35-14. Is that good?
5: Hey, if it makes you feel better, Illinois football would probably lose Liberty 35-14. <laughs> Guys,
1: Liberty lost to Iona. And they got blown out against something called Manhattan. Something called like the state or the city? Yes, I believe so. I can't confirm that to be true, but I believe that is correct. So they lost to the city of New York. They have wins this year outside of Missouri. Talking about Liberty against something called a Regent University. I could not tell you anything about that That's school. I'm not sure it's real. Bethune Cookman—that's a real school. I've heard of them in <laughs> Maryland Eastern Shore.
5: I've never. I've never Those heard
1: are them. their wins this year against teams not named Missouri. And Mizzou went in there and got the beats put on them.
5: They I'm went done. there.
1: I'm out. So but yeah, did they, they were at they were at so Liberty. Did they pay to go to that game? <laughs> I I don't know how it worked. I don't know how that ended up taking place. But I, how does this happen to my team, man? When I was at school at Mizzou, they were good. They had a legit Final Four type of a chance one year. And they, we don't have to talk about what happened against Norfolk State. I know it didn't end well. But they were good. They were good,
2: man. You could be good what all happened lump, to when my choke. team?
1: Just... Why? This is BK. as bad as the Commander era. No, this might be worse. Dude, it, it is as worse. bad. It, this might be worse. It, it, hey, it's fine. All I that... love Konzo. Konzo
5: was supposed to be the guy. All this was, How do BK. We get here?
3: Brian Kelly's the guy.
5: Hey, deep breaths. All this was, was just a bad day. Cause you had a bad day.
3: One
1: down. One down. Great song. A sad song just Daniel Powder just doesn't get enough maybe, credit maybe for this one should hit one. Maybe sing order. a sad Somebody song, said, Does Maryland have a western shore? No, there's only an eastern shore. Probably because <laughs> so don't shores... have to specify. They could have just been Maryland shore. They could
3: have. The uh, eastern shore has all of the talent. If Mizzou played the western shore, they'd probably win that game. The
1: western shore is <laughs> on. Sure. It's landlocked, man. <laughs> It's the same thing. Right? I am so
5: ready for the bragging rights game. It's going to be enjoyable this year. Oh, it's what? not even going to be a bragging rights. It's just going to be a rights game.
1: Guys, they play Kansas this year. They play Kansas. They play it's going to J- be so Oh, my
3: God. I
5: can't wait for that. It's my wedding night. Oh. Oh. It's the night of my wedding. Oh, wait, can we have it on? Or are you just going like, to yeah, ignore it? You, you it'll You may cry at the wedding if that game's on. That will be forbidden.
3: I got 25 bucks as BK cries at the wedding before the TV comes out. BK seems like a crier. I mean, he's crying right now, if that tells you anything.
5: Oh,
1: yeah. Their upcoming games are against Kansas, Utah, Illinois, Kentucky. Loss. (laughs) Maybe Guys, they should do it. You know, Maybe they start you know, doing we a may, draft they've in college won four sports. Games and I'm not sure they're getting
5: to 10. Can we yeah. do
3: co- drafts in college sports? Like the worst college basketball team gets the top
1: pick? Please. That
5: awesome. kind of, would be awesome. Because Missouri would crush it. I wonder if Missouri will set the record for the biggest spread in any of these games. Like I would take Kentucky minus, 100. M- minus 30. Uh,
1: I'd take
3: Kentucky minus 45. I'd take Kansas minus 75. And I'd take Guys. the
5: under on Missouri getting to like 20 points.
1: Guys, the low point of the Kim Anderson era—they lost to NC Central and Eastern Illinois and Lipscomb that year. What was the high point when you signed Michael? Or brought Michael Porter Jr. over? I mean, that was that was after Kim. The, that was Konzo, I mean, right? Yeah, they they won between I think it was nine and twelve games every season under. Oh, I thought you said
5: Kim.
3: that was the low low point under Konzo.
1: Excuse me, under under Kim Anderson. Yeah, yeah. The, the Kim Anderson era—they won nine games, ten games, eight games, and that was the end.
3: Man, I so I pro- this
1: is that this I, is that
3: I produced the the Sunday show on KMOX during the Kim Anderson era, and this was when Mike Kelly hosted it. And man, I, I remember calling Kim Anderson every Sunday and hearing him, that man talk. And you talk about a man Such who a just nice man. he sounded so like defeated every time you talked to him, and you felt horrible for the man. But they then hired,
1: you, they hired Konzo Anderson. They hired Conzo. His Anderson. last name's Martin,
3: dude, yeah. or is his middle name Martin? Is his last name Anderson? But it's.
1: This is Kim. This
3: Conzo, is Kim, Kim Anderson went back to UCM in D2 and just went back to dominating basketball.
1: They don't have any talent. We live in St. Louis. <laughs> well, they,
3: they, there's no basketball town there.
1: Some of the best players in the country from, from, come from the city. Are you
3: saying they missed DJ out on Jason Liddell, Tatum? The
1: best player on Ohio State who's a legit contender. Why
5: isn't he at Mizzou?
3: Well, that was Kim Anderson.
5: No, that was Konzo.
3: Oh, well, that's not good. Man. What about Jason Tatum? We don't have to talk
5: about this. Are there onions in that room?
3: PK's crying already. Why? why is it, as soon as those doors open at the wedding, he's just going to be bawling his eyes out. Why
1: has it got to be so hard? What? Can't, can't Wait, what are we
3: talking about here? Oh, basketball still.
1: <laughs> why can't they ever get a break, man?
3: Well, they can. They got Eli Drinkwitz.
5: watched. you haven't watched Illinois football for a long time, man. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Dude, this is worse than Illinois football. I don't You haven't seen the bad days. <laughs> this is what this is
3: why he might
1: be the worst power five team in the country. This
3: is why I don't put my support into one team on the college side because all they do is just create heartache for you. I'm just you root for the best teams, you know? Right right, right now. I'm a Georgia Bulldogs football fan. I believe in a uh,
1: so. I believed in him. He I'm was a, a ki- St. Louis man. He was gonna bring back he was gonna restore the tradition of Mizzou basketball.
3: Maybe that's what we should switch our alliances to in college basketball, BK. Slug? No, St. Louis athletes. S- well, yeah, that and St. Louis athletes. Like, let's be an Ohio State fan with these. I'm down. Lidd- let's do you
1: down to be wanna, Ohio State fan. You want to turn into Buckeyes fans for best yeah, let's, let's do Ohio State. Right. We'll be E.J. Liddell fans yeah. this year. Oh, I am um, mother truckers. I'm rocking the E.J. Somebody said, I've never heard B.K. sound like this. Are you okay, man? I'm not No, okay. dude, he's crying right now. I'm not okay. Missouri's going to win eight games. <laughs> no, they're not. How many have they won right now? Four. You think they've got five more? In if
3: them? you set it at eight, I'd put the under.
5: Oh, two. Oh, I, the- I don't know. <laughs>
1: they may not win another Show game. Show me the other four wins they're going to have. Ben Heisler's going to console us next. You had a bad
2: day. You had a bad day. We're back to more exclusive blues talk. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Durko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring.
1: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I'm all right.
3: Dude, stop crying about it already. do did you go get him tissues or no? No, he just he needs to ban up
1: here, man. It's okay. I'm all right. Missouri basketball has me down a little bit today, but I'm going to be okay. Seriously?
5: And our next guest Seriously? is going to help me out.
3: They won't win seven games.
5: Or five.
1: <laughs> They're at four. They're going to win another game this year,
3: Tanner. Are we That's
5: sure? Nice. I don't know. <laughs>
1: My guy, Ben Heisler, via the Brown and Crouppen and Celebrity Live, joining us now. He's the managing editor for Betside, and you can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heiss. Heiss, coming into this season, you had high hopes for your football team. It was Indiana, the University of Indiana. You told me I should bet on them against Iowa because they had all this returning production coming back, and they ended up winning two games this year. So you understand the hurt that I'm <laughs> feeling right now as a Mizzou fan that had a little bit of hope after their first game this season, and now all of that has washed away as I watch a repeat of the Kim Anderson era 2.0. How do I cope with this? How would you cope with Indiana? How do I cope with Mizzou this year?
6: Uh, Well, I I had two screaming children running around. so i was not doing that. It's a great coping mechanism. I was going to say, don't do that, but it will make you forget about the struggles of a team that has long broken your heart year after year after year. And you also have to remember, too, I grew up in Chicago as a cup fan. So, like, this heartbreak of consistency is something that I'm very, very familiar with. Nice. I'm a Mizzou fan. You think I'm not used to that? Uh, You know what? That's a perfectly fair point. But, again, I... (laughs) I, listen, I, I think there's, there's a little bit of, of kindred spirits from the Mizzou family and the Indiana family, and I think the only time that those paths crossed was the one time that Indiana came into Perot Field and beat them, and I happened to be at nice. that game. So I was able to talk, uh, talk a little stuff, but uh, it didn't end up working out for very long. So I would just say, listen, you've, you've got some exciting things happening in your life. By, by the time you kind of realize everything that's gone through, uh, the season will be over, and then you can start thinking about next year and have several months of optimism ahead. Heis, I think that's great advice. So I think BK
3: should just ha- have a baby with Caro so that they Stop. don't have to worry about the Mizzou basketball this anymore. Stupid
1: teams playing Kansas this year of all times to restore that rivalry. They had to do it now. Heis, <laughs> let's
3: do this. Let's let's see if we can make BK cry anymore. Tell me why the Denver Broncos are going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend.
6: I, I don't think they're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but I would be stunned if they do not cover against the Kansas city Chiefs. Have you guys seen the numbers on Teddy Bridgewater in these types of scenarios? They're flat out ridiculous. I think he's 20 and five as a road underdog. And I think he's only lost twice against the spread in about 14 games uh, as a road underdog of three or more points. The guy's absolutely incredible when it comes to covering the spread and Denver for as inconsistent as they've been, you still have to look at Kansas city and say, even though the defense has been a little bit better, there's still the team that has some noticeable flaws. There's still a team that is struggling to find some consistent identity in the run game. Denver's been very good at shutting down the passes of late. I think it's going to be a little bit of a slot fest. You have wins that could get up to upwards of 10 to 15 miles per hour. The total in this game is not typical of what we would see for a Kansas City Chiefs game. It's sitting around 47. It's down from 48. So I, I think you're going to see a defensive battle. The Chiefs ultimately win. Andy Reid's 19-3 and three coming off the bye straight up, but he's only 6-6 six and six over his last 12 games off the bye against the spread. So I, I think you're seeing a close game. Kansas City ultimately wins because you know, they keep finding ways to beat Denver. They've done it six consecutive times since 2015. But, yeah, no, no cries for BK as long as he's not betting on Kansas City.
1: Let's be honest. Kansas City always has teams cover against them this season. That's a fair point. They have not been great against the spread for a little while now. Uh, I think they're going to win that one heist. And this year in the NFL, all they've got to do is win. Because style points don't matter. Too many teams are losing these games against opponents that they have not. Uh, or they should not be losing to. I did want to ask you about one of the games on uh, uh, that I'm most excited for on Sunday, and that's chargers going into Cincinnati to play against the Bengals. Bengals are a three point home favorite in this one, which basically means Vegas is telling you, Hey, it's the three points for being at home. We think these teams are basically the same. Do you have a lean on which side you like between the chargers and the Bengals?
6: Yes, but only because I feel like too many people are on the Bengals and the number moved from two and a half up to three fairly quickly. And that's, been where it's stood over the last you know couple couple of days we know the recipe for success for the Bengals this year it's been run through joe mixon open up passing avenues for burrow to find jamar chase deep the different thing is that burrow has actually been very turnover prone this year he's thrown 12 interceptions that's tied for second most in the league and you also know the the caveat for success against the chargers is to run the ball. So it just seems so natural that the Bengals would do what they do best and run the ball effectively against the Chargers team. That's been bottom three. at stopping the run all season long, but the Chargers are one of those teams where just when you kind of think you figure them out, they go ahead and zag while everybody else is zagging. I think Herbert ends up having a pretty nice day. I think both the quarterbacks, are going to be in line for a bit of a shootout just because they're going to game plan for the other way around. And it's not going to work. I think you're going to have a lot of stack boxes in this game. Uh, Herbert's going to have to go deep and, and the Chargers are also one of those teams that just because they're traveling from the West coast to the East coast, you would normally give that to be a bigger advantage for the home team, but they've always seemed to to play well in these particular spots, but the public is very heavy on Cincinnati and yet the line really hasn't moved. So In the event that this game goes to Cincinnati minus three and a half, I will be all over the Chargers. But for now, it's a lean on L.A. to be able to go ahead and get the job done on the road.
3: Heist, the one that's confusing to me and the Patriots have been dominating over the last few weeks. They're a two and a half point underdog against the Bills and the Bills. We've seen some good. We've seen some bad. Why are the Bills the favorite in this one?
6: I still think it's because of the the home advantage and because the bills were powering by so many of these Las Vegas sports books uh, as the better team coming into the season. If you still look at the futures market for as good as the Patriots have been, you know, they opened up at a lot of sports books at around you know 50 to one, 40 to one, worked their way down to 20 to one, and, and now they're maybe sitting around you know plus 1200 or so, 12 to one, 14 to one. Buffalo is still in that, you know, single number range, seven and a half to one, eight to one, ten to one at some sports books. Um, They've been up and down and there have been times where they have looked like complete trash on the offensive side of the ball. Josh Allen has thrown some bad interceptions, but they've also had games where they've looked like the best team in the NFL. I I think they're looking at it from the perspective of if this game was in new England, the Patriots would probably be favored by two and a half or three. And again, that's also something to consider as well, guys, that even though you still have the aspect of home field advantage, road teams have actually been better, both straight up and against the spread this year against the spread. They're covering at about a 58% clip and underdogs against the spread this year, are covering right around 57%. It's been that kind of a season, Uh, but I, I, I look at the Patriots and yeah, they've been red hot, but there haven't been a whole lot of, Impressive teams that they've beaten along the way now maybe you can make a similar argument for Buffalo uh, with the exception of uh, that game against Kansas City, where they came out and throttled the chiefs, but I think the line makes sense for Buffalo. They clearly know it's an opportunity for them where if they don't win this game, the Patriots end up running away with this division. And so I think Buffalo comes out ready on a Monday night. still probably a close game because the Patriots' defense is among the best in the league, if not the best. Uh, but I think it's going to be a close one, probably a lower-scoring affair or something along the lines of a 23-20 to 20 type game would make a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think the line is probably right where it should be.
1: Final question that I've got for Ben Heisler, the managing editor over at Betside. You should give him a follow on Twitter. He's at Benny Heis. Heis, if you had to pick one upset going into this weekend, who would you go with? It's kind of hard to to label one this weekend, but who would you like if you had to take one?
6: That's a really, really tough question. The thing is, like upsets have just been so prevalent all season long. Like we've been trying to find the sort of exact area of, of where a lot of these matchups need to take place. Um, you know, I, I think if you're talking about uh, one that maybe stands out, I, I still, this is going to sound weird, but I still have some faith that at some point Seattle starts to figure it out. And I lost in a pretty brutal fashion in Survivor last week, taking them on Monday night on the road against Washington. Uh, that was a pick em game. Russell Wilson has the best record over the last 10 years in primetime games. Um, I I think if I'm probably going to go with one though, I I, give me the chargers. That's that's a a three point underdog heading to Cincinnati public all over the Bengals in this one. I also like the Steelers at plus three and a half at home against Baltimore. I know the big Ben is cooked, but he still has a couple flashes where all of a sudden he might look a tad bit younger and the Ravens defense guys like, it's not the typical Ravens defense that we've seen in the past. You're going to see points in this game from both sides of the ball. You're going to see a lot of movement. You're going to see big Ben actually go ahead and, and hit guys like, like Chase Claypool downfield. The Ravens haven't been able to stop anybody in the passing game. So I, I think you look at them, three and a half at home in particular. And they've also done a good job of slowing down Lamar Jackson over in the four games that he started against them uh, really has been limited, very turnover prone. I look at Pittsburgh and I look at the, uh, the chargers as two upsets that I like in particular this week.
1: Good. Because I picked the Ravens minus the four and a half points against the Steelers. So that's great. I, I'm happy to hear that from you today. Heis. make <laughs> him
6: cry again. Heis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so trying. Cool. I'm, I'm trying, but listen, man, we, we, we talk in truth. That's all we do.
1: Heis, you're the best man. Appreciate it as always. We'll talk with you again soon. All the best to you and yours, and uh, thanks for hopping on with us today, man.
6: Anytime, gents. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. See,
1: you. That's Ben Heisler joining us here on 101 ESPN. Give him a follow on Twitter at Benny Heis. I, I just can't. I can't bring myself to believe in Big Ben at this point. No, God, no. It's He's not cooked. just Big it's Ben. Over. It's
3: the offensive line too. It's his weapons. Like I just don't believe in that team anymore. Yeah, I'm, defense
1: I'm, is awesome. Defense is very good, but I'm just out on the Steelers as as a team that can beat anybody that's a quality opponent. Like, if At
3: we can just meantime. put Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt on another team, oh, it'd be perfect. Yeah, let's them them go over teams. to the Chiefs. It'll be great. No, I was With thinking Alex Ferrario Tanner
1: Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 65780 is the air cover service text line. You give us four options, we will tell you which one's got to go. It's my last time playing this game for a few weeks, Alex. One got to go coming up next.
2: This is BK and Ferrari on time now for one's gotta go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on one Oh one ESPN.
1: 5780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. It's it's a sad, bittersweet day for me, Alex. Yeah, the last one ever. The last one don't, ever. Don't, say that, came Ferrari on don't t- say that in this business. Don't say that in this business. I'm just not going anywhere. Oh, I did show. just
5: wink at me. That's kind of weird. Yeah, weird.
1: So we don't have a show next Friday together. I'll be out. Thank the God. following Friday, I'll be out.
5: Hallelujah. The
1: Friday after that, it's Christmas Eve. Hallelujah. Friday after that, it's New Year's Eve. This might be the last one that one's got to go of the year.
3: Well, no. T-Bone and I actually are hard workers. We'll do one's got to go at least two more times. Okay. I don't work on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. It's...
1: it's- it's Holidays. personal preference. It's religious reasons. <laughs> For sure. 65780 oh, Zero Cup Service X-line four has gotta go. We got a few wedding editions. Oh you will be that great came with from. this.
5: My speciality.
1: One's gotta go speciality. wedding drink edition. <laughs> That's Vodka awesome, soda, whiskey coke, gin and tonic, or beer or wine. Oh. Vodka soda, whiskey coke, gin and tonic, or beer or wine. One's gotta go. Only thing I will have at your wedding is uh whiskey
3: and coke. So vodka, I think the beer and wine have to go at the weddings because, uh, like, for me, I'm usually, like, if there's a a open bar with high-end liquor, I'm going liquor there. And I like me some vodka, some Jack. I don't like tequila at weddings. Tequila makes my clothes come off. Isn't that a good thing? It's a country song. I know. You don't get it. Beer and wine gotta go.
5: I'm Tanner? actually concerned your clothes are coming off at the wedding now. They might. You never know. I think I'd get rid of the gin and tonic. I not I, I don't mind vodka soda. Whiskey and Coke's probably gonna be my go to and I like beer and wine. Gin and tonic, it's okay, but if I gotta get rid of one of them, I get rid of that. This isn't about- gin and
1: tonic is the number
3: one go-to. This isn't about at a what wedding. you like. This is about what looks good in your hand at a wedding.
1: No, 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 no. Gin and tonic is the go-to wedding drink. Mm. I don't drink a whole lot of gin and tonics when I'm not at a wedding, but it is almost the only thing that I order when gin I do. Gin and tonic it. make you feel sexy? Apparently, I don't know why. It just became that for me. God, I typically you... prefer gin and soda with a splash of lime, but if you got gin and tonic, that's fine. That'll work one for of me. Those drink snobs. The gym. one that's gotta go is the whiskey coke. What the hell?
5: I don't need the Coke in there. I'm good. I'm good. You're not even invited to your own wedding anymore. Yeah, you're not.
1: You're kicked off of your own wedding. Now, you make a good old-fashioned, I'm in. I don't need the sweetness of the Coke going in with my whiskey. I like my whiskey either neat or in an old-fashioned. What the hell is wrong with you?
5: The way I, I believe my, he just
1: went there. My whiskey.
3: Well, what else is new? BK with bad taste and something. Alex, Let's see
1: what the next one's got. Alex is the guy that drinks a seventy dollars bottle of whiskey with some coke splashed oh, yeah, into it. Yeah, that's some good stuff. Absolutely right there. not. You're just ruining the whiskey that way. All right, that one's got to go. Reception coke. edition. One's got to go. Dollar dance. The bridesmaid and groomsman toast. Cutting of the cake or the wedding entrance oh my god which one this gotta is go? so
3: simple and if either of you guys say this one it needs to stay we will fight after the show today the dollar dance has to go we're not doing it it is the and i apologize if i offend anybody here but this is my opinion it is the most cliche awkward trying to think of the the, the right word to use for this it's just weird.
5: Feels like, like the kiss at the fair, right? Pay for a dollar, get yeah, the kiss at the fair. Yeah, what are you seventy? What I know that's a thing, or was a thing. It was a thing back in the nineteen
3: twenties. T Bone
5: still still counts.
3: No, like the dollar dance is so confusing Tanner to was me. was actually born during the Great Depression. <laughs> of course <laughs> he was. When they had to pay a dollar for kisses, it just uh, one. I don't. You're asking people who have already like bought you a wedding gift and have spent their time with you. Oh, hey, bring us a dollar so you can dance with me. And then on top of it, how uncomfortable is that for the bride and groom that you got to sit there and dance with people awkwardly for three minutes? Being like, you're selling yourself off. It's weird. I don't like it. I've never liked it. I think it is so cliché. So, yeah, that one's got to go.
1: Yeah. And somebody else said, BK, are you cutting the cake before the dinner and not making a show of it? Absolutely. We're doing yeah. two things. When we're not doing in. the dollar dance, and we're cutting the cake immediately as That's we walk we in. Put it to the side. We can go ahead and get everything else cut up so that way it's, like, available basically yeah. immediately for people. So I, I'm getting rid of the dollar dance as well because it's literally something we're not doing. I will say this. If you are the maid of honor or the best man, the only thing that is required in your, your toast, your speech— is that it's not long. Like, there are a million oh, and different And don't ways. be drunk when you do BK, it. BK, I, might boo, I
5: it. might boo if it's long. I'm sorry.
1: That's, that's the only required. I'll
5: walk away if it's too long. It's
1: got to be less than five minutes. You add a couple of personal anecdotes. You have a theme throughout. You make a couple of funnies throughout. And you're good. Like, if it's short... Sweet to the point, you get out of there. Nobody's gonna be like, Man, that was a terrible speech, even if it had very little substance. But there's so many
3: to it, like, you can't do inside jokes because nobody's gonna get it. Even if you do, if it's quick, fine, no
1: biggie. But the problem is when it's long, drawn out, it's like a 10 minute speech, and by the end, everybody's talking amongst themselves, right? Well,
3: and you have to like actually say stuff in the speech about the other person, you can't make it like solely off of the one person because then it just I don't know, it gets boring after that. The biggest thing is you can't be drunk when you did it. That was my biggest mistake for my best friend's wedding, man. They got me way too drunk on the limo in between. And so by the time I got to my speech, I rambled through that
1: whole damn thing. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for one's got to go. By the way, Tanner,
5: did you give one? I I was with you guys, the dollar dance. And and then my second probably would have been the cake cutting. But, yeah.
1: Another wedding edition. The wedding itself the rehearsal dinner, so I'm guessing the ceremony, the rehearsal dinner, the reception, or the honeymoon, one's gotta go. Are we all on the same page here? It's gotta be the rehearsal dinner? I have no
3: idea. I actually kind of liked the rehearsal dinner because it was like, I don't know, not as much pressure on it. Like the reception I loved, but like you were, uh, we were walking around so much. I think the only way to go with this is the rehearsal dinner though, because like, you're not getting rid of the ceremony, get rid of the ceremony although some people's ceremonies take a really long time. Like yeah. I don't need to be a Catholic your...
1: wedding is a long man. Not even a Catholic process.
3: wedding. I've just been to normal weddings that has been like an hour and forty five really? minutes. Yeah, like our wedding was Catholic wedding and it was an hour on the dot. Like I told him, oh, it was hour. It was an hour. Is be no it was longer
1: twenty five minutes. Oh, thank you, BK. Yeah. Well, let's see In and we... out, man. That's our process. In and out. Honeymoon two? No, honeymoon six days. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> In,
3: stay for a while. Then yeah. leave. <laughs> okay. Honey-
1: honeymoon. We're going to Dominican and we're staying there for a while should probably consider staying down there for like a month or so. Uh, if I get a positive test, I will be. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, rehearsal T- dinner's got
3: to go. Oh
4: Tanner,
1: are you in the – you don't know. You I don't know. know. Five seven eight zero. is the sex <laughs> line for one's got to go. One got to go wing sauce edition. The classic buffalo habanero, Uh, the mild or garlic parm. Which ones has got to go wing sauce edition? Buffalo habanero, habanero mild or garlic par- parm. Yep ooh
3: it's come down to see i think it's mild i don't I, I like i don't see the point of mild buffalo wings like if you're going to go buffalo wings do the buffalo sauce Or do the garlic parm. Don't do the mild. Habanero's a little too hot for my liking, but some people enjoy it. Mild's got to go. I don't understand the point of it. Just give me a bland wing then. I'm with you. Garlic parm is trash. What What? the hell? Dude, you're Italian.
1: Trash. The two
3: things that Italian live their life off of is garlic and Parmesan. Yeah. What is wrong with you? It's
1: it's not a wing. Tanner's having mac and cheese for lunch.
3: No, Tanner's five. You shouldn't
1: have mac and (laughs) cheese. He's going to have a kissing booth that he's going to charge people a dollar for. Tan- Tanner should not have ice cream that is mac and cheese flavored. Some things just aren't meant to be. I don't know why you're going to compare
3: mac and, and cheese, cheese it's not even flavored the same thing. You're going to compare garlic or garlic parm
1: wings to mac and cheese ice cream? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's Some things just aren't meant
3: to go together. What is wrong with certain you. Flavors. Okay. I don't want I don't We're want done garlic
5: here. parmesan ice cream. You know
3: cream.
1: what? Cr- Take Monday
3: and Tuesday off. How
5: did we get to ice cream? I'm so lost how we got to that part of the it's conversation. A flavoring.
1: That's what it is. It, Nobody would ever make a mac and cheese flavored ice cream. They might try to make a mac and cheese flavored wing sauce just <laughs> like they did with garlic parmesan. <laughs> Nobody asked <laughs> that's, for that.
3: That's for the people that just prefer to put nacho cheese on everything and just oh, put some cheese on it. And it's delicious. Garlic parm wings are good. T-Bone, yeah. correct this, man. Uh,
5: yeah, mild's the answer here for sure because it's T- just Tanner's the blah. one that wants to back know. you up. He's <laughs> the one that's getting mac and cheese Kids today are going to lunch. eat Mac
3: and cheese said he left his Doritos at home. Look,
5: you don't have to be jealous about the five-star meal I'm going to have after the show here. For a, a mac toddler. and cheese
1: with your week-old hot dog, I,
5: it's
3: gonna think be my, great. I think my nine-month-old is starting mac and cheese soon.
1: They've got the same palate. They do, actually. She knows what's up. Somebody said, "Speaking of Tanner, do you guys think that he, they're going to try to accidentally seat him at the kids' table for BK's wedding?"
3: <laughs> no, kids aren't allowed at the wedding you say, because I you know not. BK. Blank my them own kids. table.
1: That is true. We did a no no, uh, no child wedding.
2: Blank them kids
3: with
1: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the Fastlane coming up next. <laughs>
2: Wall-to-wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centine Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federico's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring.
1: for that's tanner hendrickson back in the studio and i'm brandon Kylie. alex and i are broadcasting live from the e and b granite studio at the centine community ice center and we are crossing things crossing things over rather with Former superstar blues defenseman, Jamie Rivers. Jamie, what's going on? How much,
0: boys? How we doing?
1: Oh, we're fantastic. Couldn't be any better. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good, man. I'm good. The beautiful weather out. I think uh, that I'm completely confused as to why it's so beautiful out on December 3rd. I don't want to jinx
1: it, but holy crow.
3: We don't, well, don't worry. Tuesday's 35 degrees you know, uh, next weekend. Can like we please hear the weather.
1: prayerful type, please? <laughs> shorts up- weather. Send up, send up some prayers for oh, next look Saturday. Look at this Saturday: forty-six
3: day. and a fifty percent chance of snow. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what it says on my weather app. Nice for next Saturday. Ah, oh, uh, what a wedding!
0: Dreaming of a white wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what's coming up today on the fast Lane, man? Uh, well, we got lots of baseball stuff to talk about. Well, maybe not oh, so yeah, much. Yeah, a lot going on. Yeah, maybe not so much. We do have the chief Craig Berube coming on at three o'clock. Today, and we're going to talk to him about, well, kind of what the, that, that ish show Oof. that's going on down there right now with injuries and COVID and uh, emergency goalies and all sorts of stuff. we we'll see how, how how the Chief is doing.
3: Rivs, he skated with his beer league. If there's one thing you want out of your emergency backup goaltender, it's knowing that he skated with his beer league and was fired up.
0: Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want that guy? I mean, he's he was ready to go. He was so jacked up that he made sure to tell Army that. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> impressive.
3: I can only imagine what the phone call was or the talk was face-to-face with Army Baruby and the guy, and he was like, yeah, guys, I skated with my beer league. I'm fired up, ready to go. And yeah. Army's like, that's good. Hopefully you don't see the <laughs> yeah, ice. Yeah, we
0: hope
1: you never have to
0: see the ice for <laughs> this team. We're going to ask Chief today, like, what circumstance does that guy get in last night? Like Barton, obviously not an injury and something like that, but if Tampa- even an
1: injury ribs, if he, if who still had one leg, he's going out there. <laughs> I,
0: no, he's there's no way because you don't know what you got coming back. Like Charlie Lindgren, and all that, like you're forced to do. I would be, if I got down by three or four goals, and let's say Huso's got a bad groin or tweaked something. Hey, E-Bug, beer league buddy, you're yeah. going in, man. Welcome you were going to, the to show. be the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh,
3: that, that was better than Tanner's gobble, ribs. Oh,
1: well. Oh, yeah. Huh. Tanner said gobble, gobble, gobble.
3: That's I got
5: put on the spot. I, I, there's too much pressure.
0: You literally went for the the generic gobble, gobble. That's yeah. what he said. Really? That was really yep. good, though. Try again.
5: Oh, Try no, again. I can't. But
0: get it. into
3: character. Do it, Tanner.
5: Okay. I said, I Pretend I you're
3: <laughs> a turkey. Close
0: your eyes. What? It's
5: not turkey season anymore. It's yeah. It, uh, is. it always
3: is. It's 71 okay? degrees outside. It's turkey season.
5: Tanner, close no. your
0: eyes. Okay. Pretend I'm not here. Okay. Now you are a turkey. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> you the hell am I actually You're doing being this?
0: hunted right now. <laughs> BK is hunting you with a butter knife. Oh, then I'm not scared. Okay. <laughs> what? Butter. Let's get let's get your true make it, make it turkey. J- Jamie's
1: noise. hunting you. Jamie's hunting you. I would okay. never now, do such a thing. Now I'm make, terrified. And I make might it, if you
0: don't do this good, properly. Tanner. Come on, ten. Get it from the your belly all the way up. Let's get it.
3: What the hell <laughs> was that? Was that an that? offside call? <laughs> did, did he just did he just roll his R? I don't know what <laughs> just happened. What's
1: coming up on the
3: fast? Am I watching
1: lane? a baroumi? You've got a, You've got a yeah, I, don't it's be great. I can't
0: wait. We're not going to do that that noise. Whatever that was. Good lord.
1: We will talk to you a guys soap opera. on Monday at 11. For Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson, gobble. I'm Brandon Kylie. Have a good week at <laughs> Fastlane coming up next.